child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. Hello and welcome to the utterly inaccurately named Weekly Stuff Podcast yes. with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. Yeah. I don't yeah. even know how long at this point. Just It just makes me think back to when we had to rename this podcast and you're like, we'll just call it the Weekly Stuff. And I was like, we can't call it that if we're not weekly. <laughs> and then we called it the Weekly Stuff. We're going to be weekly for at least the next three episodes, I know. Yeah. Unless something horrific happens. But, like, because this week, big episode. We're talking not only Guardians of the Galaxy, because yeah. we're finally in the same room to talk about it mm-hmm. in front of a microphone, um, and the entire world has seen it twice or something, given how much it's made. Yeah. So, yes, um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of news, gaming and movie stuff. Um, go back and do a little catch-up on some Comic-Con things. Obviously talk about the recent Gamescom news from this week, and then a lot of stuff in between. Just a lot of fun topics. Catch up on some other things. We're going to talk a little bit about The Last of Us Remastered and whatnot. Next week is our big Doctor Who um, episode, where we're going to go back and talk about some of the regeneration stories. Yeah. Or I guess it would they've already regenerated, so it's the, yeah, the new Doctor stories. Yeah, the, do- the first story for the Doctors. Yes. And I just, I was watching the first two episodes of Spearhead from Space last night. So it's good. It's got lots of Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, so yes. that's all you need, really. Yep. And um, I will talk about this next week. I love how John Pertwee is introduced throughout that. It's yeah. it's fun. Anyway, uh, so we'll talk about that. We're going to also be doing the Fifth Doctor Story, Cast Revolva, Sixth Doctor Story, The Twin Dilemma, which, Sean, I, I noticed on iTunes, if you go to their Best of Colin Baker box set on iTunes, yeah. it's The Twin Dilemma is the first story. <laughs> For the best of Colin Baker. <laughs> well, it is his first story, and it's like, if you're thinking the best of Colin Baker, there's like two Colin Baker <laughs> stories that are good. Yeah. So that's a little weird. Uh, that's in there. And the first episode of Twin Dilemma, they're just giving away for free, also, yeah. I should note. They don't even want you to pay for it. Yeah. And I'm going to take that back. There are three Colin Baker stories that, are, that I would classify as at least good. Okay. None that are great, probably. No, really. Vengeance on Varos, I rewatched that. That's maybe, like, great. Maybe. <laughs> if you have to say maybe, I don't know if yeah. it counts. <laughs> so, no Spearhead from Space? So Spearhead from Space is great, yeah. but that's not Colin Baker. Yeah, I know. No, I'm saying oh. there's nothing on that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, no, there's nothing okay. on that that approaches yeah. the quality of Spearhead from Space. No. Yes. And if we have a little time at the end of that episode, we'll also talk the Christmas Invasion in the 11th hour as some examples of modern Doctor Who, first Doctor stories. Uh, and then the week after that, there's a new Doctor to talk about. Yeah. And Fuck. the episode Deep Breath, the first episode of the Peter Capaldi era. That'll be cool. Take a All deep right. breath, deep breath. <laughs> Indeed. I hope that song is in that episode <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Yes. Uh, if not, I will just turn my iPod on while watching the episode. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so yes, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff this week. Unfortunately, we have to start with some crushingly sad news. Yeah. The passing of actor Robin Williams. Um... I guess where I would start with that is I was thinking about this the day he died the other day, and um, I think it's very possible Robin Williams was the first actor whose name I knew. Yeah, that's probably true for me as well. I 
I know it was either him or Bill Murray because when I was a kid, my parents showed me some of their you know family appropriate comedies, mm-hmm. and I just know those both of those actors for me go back to childhood. Bill Murray has stayed a lot more relevant through my life in part because he was still doing you know great he, he is still doing great yeah. movies and stuff like that. Robin Williams had not done anything too notable in recent years. I feel like um, I've, I heard he did a really good couple of uh, indie movies these last couple of years that I would like to go back and see maybe. But although he did have a phenomenal guest appearance on Louie in its third season hmm. which is very tough to watch now because it's an entire half episode where it's him and Louie contemplating death basically and a little sad now but it's phenomenal he's so good in that um, just this nice warm casual side of Robin Williams but yeah when I was a kid I mean you've got Aladdin you've got Mrs. Doubtfire things like that Flubber came out with that when I was a kid not a great movie he's good in it yeah, but definitely he was one of those actors who I just knew early on and would like want to go seek out other things he did, mm-hmm. and that was definitely one of the first people I could say that about. Yeah, I mean it was. I mean not even just like movies, but he was just like a tremendously funny comedian. Yes, like like obviously he, like he's more well known publicly as a movie actor because that's just how you become popular. But like I've watched a lot of his stand up stuff, and that's all. Really, really funny. Yeah, and I have not seen a lot of his stand-up. And, and honestly, that was a whole thing throughout this week, uh, after he died and everyone was sharing stuff about that online, is I just realized how much of his body of work I just have never even touched. A lot of his dramatic work I feel like I haven't seen. A lot of his stand-up stuff I need to see sometime. Um, that's too bad. It's one of the, it's, it's kind of like when Philip Seymour Hoffman died earlier this year. And you think you really you know love an actor and have seen a lot of their stuff, and then when everyone starts talking about it, you're like, man, there's a lot of this that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And it's It's interesting. But yeah. 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 It fucking sucks. It fucking sucks. It's sad in so many ways. Um, you know, he was just... He had he just had a presence that no other actor had yeah. in terms of comedy. You know, it's just the kind of characters he could make, the kind of insanity he could imbue into something. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. And he touched so many mediums. That's one of the things I realized this week, too, is that he did stand-up. He was a big presence on TV because of Mork and Mindy. Yeah. Um, he just, I mean, his last thing he did while alive was this TV show that was on CBS last year. Not a great show by all accounts, but people really liked him in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he did that. He obviously was a big player in movies, comedies, and drama. Did eventually win an Oscar for, I think, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, I mean, and then there was, there was, uh, there was so many nice things from gamers this week because he was an avid yeah. video game player. And yeah, he was a huge fan of video games and anime. It was just like... Yeah. Which is awesome. Fucking cool. I mean, he named his daughter after Zelda. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And I will say, the most, one of the most heartwarming things for me this week, reading all the stuff uh, since his death, was the World of Warcraft petition to get an NPC in the game yeah, the, based after Robert Williams. Yeah, that apparently will like tell his jokes and stuff. Yeah, because there's not a whole lot that brings gamers together. And as we saw this week with like the Tomb Raider announcement and just massive sniping yeah. back and forth online... Um, so for someone who wasn't even involved in video games beyond playing them and loving them, for everyone mm-hmm. in this community to try to say, you know what, he was one of us, let's put him in the game, that's cool, that warmed my heart a little bit. Yeah. There was also a... I didn't want to say that was the most heartwarming because his daughter, as you just mentioned, Zelda Williams, did leave a... She wrote a very nice note online. Yeah. That I read and that was nice, but... Yeah. Um, boy, what do, you, what do you even say? It's tough. This is what I said on yeah. Twitter when it happened. It's just like, he's just... He's Robin Williams. For people our age, he's just a legend. I felt like he was immortal. Yeah, he's, he's just, just a part of things. This is just like every time he's ever appeared on like anything, even if it's just like an interview or something, he always has had so much energy, you know? Yeah. That it, yeah, it felt like 
don't know, he's just one of those guys that you're like, ah, there's no fucking way he will ever die. Yeah. Because he has enough, like, energy in his body to, like, have, like, a hundred people live off it for a thousand years. To relight the sun. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been the alternate plot to Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Yeah. Is they send Robin Williams to the sun and he just tells it jokes. Yeah. He does his Aladdin Yeah, and just does, like, crazy impressions and shit. Yeah. God. And, you know, Aladdin really was, I think, the touchstone for a lot of kids of that era because... I mean, and that's really amazing. I think, in terms of voice work... A lot of actors, just no matter how good they are, cannot translate what they do to voice work. Mm-hmm. And I actually think we see this a lot these days, because there's so many CGI movies where they try to put celebrities in, and they're just not themselves there, because yeah. it's only half of what they do. Robin Williams could be 100% Robin Williams yeah. doing a voice, yeah, which is pretty crazy. And the genie definitely is just one of the perfect Robin Williams personas for that. And, and you know, I think about it, and, and a lot of the movies that I loved him in are not, to me, necessarily great movies. Mm-hmm. Aladdin is problematic in a lot of ways if you want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, racism and such. None of that comes from the genie character, so yeah. that's okay. Um, but then, you know... Well, like, I, think, I think that performance is a little bit racist to blue people. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire, I don't know if I went back and watched that if I would love it, but I do remember yeah. it having lots of good things about it. And, and what strikes me about these movies and some of the others I want to talk about is that as funny as he could be, and as dramatic as he could be in his dramatic roles, and effectively both kind of separate, it's when he combined them that I think really blows me away, because he could just transition so smoothly. There's the scene at the end of Mrs. Doubtfire, where he's basically going to court to after they found out he was... Again, it's so silly. The story yeah. is him dressing up as a British nanny to mm-hmm. take care of his kids, and but the end of the movie is him having to go to court to answer for this in divorce court yeah. with his wife. And he's phenomenal in those scenes, dramatically. And I don't know if anyone else would have made that work, or else you would have just kind of been rolling your eyes like, dude, yeah. you were fucking impersonating a British nanny. This is kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. And even like you and I have talked about, we're not huge fans of Dead Poets Society. Yeah, yeah. He's really, he's really good in it. Yeah, he's like, fantastic. He's not what's wrong with that movie. Like that movie. No, we just don't yeah. like some of the story stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Some of the, the decisions they made with that movie. Yeah, but you know, I I still got misty eyed when everyone was saying, "Oh, Captain, my Captain" on Twitter because yeah. he's what makes those kinds of scenes work in yeah. that film. And yeah. I mean, you know, fucking his role in Goodwill Hunting, like he's incredible in that movie. Like, yeah, that's I think that's probably the first movie I saw that I realized like totally like he can be. Like really dramatic Like he has real acting chops He's not just a comedian Yeah Yeah definitely And uh, When I was watching The Louis episode The other day um, In which he had A very fine beard And he did his Wonderful Robin Williams Laugh a couple of times Made me wonder How he never played Santa in something <laughs> Yeah Robin Williams Would have been The best on screen Santa Yeah Put him in a good Like something Santa movie I don't know what that would be but yeah, something Santa movie. How how you know Richard Attenborough is fine in the Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street remake. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street remake with Robin Williams in it. It's fucking just better. finally make the sequel. We've all been waiting for Miracle Miracle on Thirty Fifth Street. Sure, I've been waiting for it for fucking years. And you know what? You could do that pretty easily. Just like the dude from Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street just goes to a different town and yeah. impersonates Santa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be fine. And he just happens to move into Thirty Fifth Street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take cues from 22 Jump Street Yeah exactly Okay Yeah Um, Yeah It's hard to know what to say In a case like this Um, Other than that You know I think what we said already Yeah And everyone has said their piece And You know Wish he could be around To see how much uh, His his passing affected everyone 
Yeah, that's how it always goes. That's so. it indeed. All right, well, no good way to transition out of this. Nope. So, Sean, um, let's just leave this behind, and uh, let's go into the stuff portion of the podcast. What have you been up to these last seven weeks or whatever it's been? It's fucking, okay, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it hasn't really been seven weeks, but... It's been like two or three. Yeah. Fuck, man, I don't know. Okay. I guess, I mean, the main thing I've been doing, like, related to talking about something on this podcast would be playing The Last of Us Remastered. Okay. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Well, why don't we talk about that now? Yeah. Because I've been playing it, too. So let's do that. Um, Last of Us Remastered came out at the end of July. And yep. um, so you just got it as an impulse purchase, right? Yeah, I just, like, saw videos on it of it, like, people playing it, and particularly people playing the multiplayer. And I was like, I just really want to play The Last of Us right now. I was like, fuck it. And then I bought The Last of Us again. Okay. Because nice. I had no intention on doing that. I was going to be like, I'll probably get this when it's cheaper. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. And was it worth the fifty dollars? Yeah, definitely. Like, because I've like play, I've almost finished the campaign again, and I've played a bunch of the multiplayer again. So I've definitely gotten more than my money out of it. Yeah, and I think the improvements to it are well worth the money I paid. Yeah, I got it um, in a GameStop trade-in. They announced they would do fifty percent off if you brought your PS3 copy in. So I did that. Immediately regretted it. Wish I would have just spent the fifty dollars and got it on the PSN store or something because mm-hmm. GameStop just. Fuck all of them. Yeah, it's one of those I cases. I'd never want to go into a GameStop again. Here's what it was. My life. Here's what it was. And I just, I will never. This is it. I just, once I was in the store, you're kind of in for a penny and for a pound at that point. Sure. But it was like I went into the store and it was. I was like, "Can I get a copy of The Last of Us?" I'm like, "Oh, we don't have any." And I'm looking back, I'm like, "You've got like 50 copies there. I'm like, those are all pre-ordered. Do you have one pre-ordered?" I'm like, "No. I'm like, we can't sell you a copy." <laughs> so I left. Like, why do you exist? Why do you exist if I can't come to your fucking store and buy a fucking video game? I feel like someone needs to go up to GameStop and explain to them what economies of scale are. Yeah. You want to buy as many copies of something as you can so that you don't go out of stock. Because if you go out of stock, that means you don't get money from people walking into the goddamn store. Because you know what, GameStop? I could go into Best Buy and there is never any risk of them running out of stock of the fucking Last of Us. Yeah. And they would get my fifty dollars. Yeah, and and then if you did go there to like to Best Buy or any other store that is fucking sane, the response wouldn't be, "Oh, did you pre-order it?" It would just be, "Oh no, we've sold out of that game." Right. It's like, okay, that makes sense. It's not like, no, we don't have it because we have pressured every single person who comes into the store to pre-order everything like two years in advance before like they even have release dates. So that way, when the game does come out, we only sell it to like the people we sold it to like two years ago, and you can't buy it because you didn't think ahead that you might want this game that that long ago. It's so stupid. Um, there was another GameStop on literally like directly on my way home from that one, so I reluctantly stopped there and just checked, and they had it, and it was fine. But that was annoying too because the dude at the desk took way too long talking to absolutely everyone. But again, it was it was mostly just out of like rage. I was going to see it through and get this fucking game. Sure, but yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I don't. It's been like a year since I stepped in foot in a GameStop. Anyway, I just did this because I had that deal, and you know, deals deals aren't everything. Yeah, I have learned. Yeah, I mean, you know, your time and your like sanity is yes. worth money. Oh, you absolutely. Can't sacrifice that for a deal. No, time and sanity is worth the twenty five dollars I saved. But sure. in any case, got the game. Oh, and I should say the copy. I, got, I don't even know why I stuck through with this. But now that I'm thinking back on it, but the copy I got was it wasn't even shrink wrapped. They had taken it off the shrink wrap and put it on the shelf. And then they just took it back. Be I guess earlier in the day because they were selling out. Huh. I was like, this is the only one. I'm like, can't you give me one of the wrapped ones you have there? I'm like, no, those are all pre ordered. <laughs> 
want to smack the dude. Yeah. Fuck it. I don't care. The disc was in good condition. They hadn't touched anything. I wasn't. I was just losing the shrink wrap, but yeah. it was still kind of annoying. So it's fine. Got the game home. Massive install if you get the disc version. That's a big game. Yeah. But it's fine. So yeah, um, I agree with you though. It's it's worth. Uh, it was definitely worth the twenty five dollars I paid for it and the loss of sanity. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. It still definitely to me looks like a PS three game. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they didn't overhaul everything. No, but it looks like a PS3 game running better than it ever could on PS3. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think you know the colors are just they just pop so much more, and the textures are often so much deeper, particularly in the pre-rendered cutscenes. Those look movie quality now. Yeah, yeah. You could put that in a theater, and I think no one would bat an eyelash. Um, but yeah, the uh, the frame rate for me is the big difference. Yeah, it's a rock. Super fucking rock solid 60 for me so far. Yeah, totally for me. I, it's never slowed down. And um, it's just, I every time I boot up the game, I have to adjust to it a little bit. Because it's so smooth, and because I do remember the game a little differently. But I like it. It's it's kind of like, yeah. it, but it is that kind of that sensation like when we saw the first Hobbit movie the first time yeah. at high frame rate. And it looks like Bilbo is just running everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, I, especially like when you see watch the cutscenes, which is weird. Because yeah. I've never had... That effect with video games. Like, I've definitely watched or played plenty of video games that run at 60 yeah. that have cutscenes, but I've never had that same effect on it before. And I think yeah. it's because of how high quality the cinematics are in The Last of Us. It's like, when I started watching them, I had that exact reaction of, like, what the fuck? Like, these are going way too fast because I'm, I expect it to look like a movie. Right. It's interesting. And, and I just think between this game and the uh, the Tomb Raider Definitive Edition on PS4 and certain portions of Infamous Second Son that would get up to 60 frames per second, it just really emphasizes for me how much 60 frames per second plus, you know, 1080p resolution and, yeah. and next-gen power is this wonderful match made in heaven because mm. things just look so... I don't want to say real because I don't necessarily need or want things to look real in a video game, but they look so tangible is what I would say. Like, you'll just be walking past a blade of grass in The Last of Us, and it just looks like you could reach out and touch it because not only is the animation and everything so good, but because of that high rock-solid frame rate, it just has this tangible quality to it. And I love that, and I really hope that's something more developers are shooting for this generation because it's Mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah, yeah, like the... And, and The Last of Us, even though you're right, it doesn't look like a PS4 game. The 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 quality of the art design and the environments in The Last of Us are so so high that even though like the technical aspects of the graphics do not look as good as like a game designed from the ground up for the PS4, yeah. I think the design of it is still like and like the animation and stuff like that is still far and away way better than almost any PS4 game out there. So it's like. Even though you can tell definitely by the way some of the, the geometry is designed that there's a lot of like ever a lot of the grounds are really flat in a way that yeah next gen or current gen games kind of are getting away from you can see that stuff but I still feel like the game feels like it's a much more rich visual experience than most next gen games are yeah no absolutely I mean because really the only next gen game I've played so far that really made a stand for itself as a visual experience is, is uh, Infamous Second Son. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Titanfall, I played on 360 and it looks every bit like a last gen game. Yeah. So, yeah. It's really interesting. But what do you think about playing it with the DualShock 4? Controls have been slightly yes. revamped for that. Way better. So I kind of miss 
the L2 being sprint, like, I really like that. There's, like, there's a really, like, I great too. feeling to it. And you can switch it. Like, you can switch it back to using L1 and R1 to aim and shoot if you want to, which But is that's fine. more awkward on the DualShock 4 yeah, than it, it was on the... Yeah. yeah. I do think, like I... And, and I, I won't deny, it is better playing it on the DualShock 4 because the DualShock 4 is a more comfortable controller. Yeah. End of story. It controls better, especially with the sticks. I mean, yeah. that's where you're going to mm-hmm. see the biggest gain here. But I do think I said this when we reviewed The Last of Us last summer. I should say that. If you want to hear our thoughts on the game itself, we did a full episode. Yeah, yeah. Go to com podcast archive, just Google or the Control F, Last of Us, you'll find it. It's a big episode. Uh, and one of the things I said there is that I thought they made really smart use of the DualShock 3's limitations. And they made it feel kind of tactile, where like when you used L2 to sprint or R2 to use your listening mode, yeah. there was this kind of tactile quality to it because of how your fingers just worked with the DualShock 3. Yeah. And that's definitely lost, I feel like, in the move to the DualShock 4. But you gain a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, it's... Yeah. Like, I would much rather play it like this than... I would, too. I'm just saying yeah. it's... They are a little different... Um, they That's one of the things I thought was interesting about The Last of Us, is that they made the DualShock 3 into something that felt like it worked well with that game mm-hmm. yeah. in the midst of that controller's general shittiness yeah <laughs> so yes but yeah so there's that uh, how's the I've only played a couple multiplayer matches but how does that feel on PS4 fucking great because like it's really nice for that multiplayer to run at like 60 because it's I don't know it feels less bullshit sometimes because yeah because like I don't mind single player games running at 30 frames per second and usually I don't mind multiplayer games running at 30 frames per second but it does make a big difference especially in competitive multiplayer where you want that extra controller response by having a, a faster refresh rate and stuff yeah. so that's nice and that multiplayer is still fucking great like I've gotten really into using the bow class that they kind of like pre-packaged for you that's very stealth focused and that's a lot of fun nice yeah I'm gonna have to get into it I just kind of wanted to play the campaign first Although, I will tell you, there's some things I forgot about the Last of Us campaign. In part, it is fucking long. It's like, yeah, it feels it's, like Yeah, it. it's like a 20-something yeah. hour campaign. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I, I'm i still in, like, the first season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the first season is, like, twice as long as any right. of the others, but yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting. Like, I, I think I just got to the part where you meet the, the two brothers. Mm-hmm. Um which is just now the whole thing is sad yeah. because like, I there's know where a it goes. lot there's a lot of little details too in the last of us and like the storytelling that you don't notice the first time playing yeah. through and i think one of the i thought the most interesting ones is it's not really a spoiler but it's kind of at the part where you're at where you meet those those two brothers and one of them is a younger boy and you're in a toy store in this one cutscene and he's like looking at this robot action figure and his older brothers is right. like hey man you can't take that like we only take what we need or whatever and so he drops it on the floor, and you know that later Ellie shows it to him in a later cutscene, so you know that she picks it up, and so you can... I stood there, and I was looking at it, because like, oh shit, that's the toy she picks up. And Does she pick it up? You don't see her pick it up, but I was looking at her, I was like, I wonder if she's going to pick it up, and I just was like, but maybe she wouldn't pick it up while I'm looking at her, so I just like spin the camera around, and Joel wasn't facing her. And then you can. I heard like some rustling, and I look back, and Ellie's walking away, and it's not on the ground anymore. That's fascinating. Yeah, I that's, was like, that's fucking cool. Like that is a tremendous attention to detail. I, I just there's a lot of moments like that where I'm playing through it, and because you know what happens, there are certain moments that just take on more resonance. Yeah, like just the opening set of scenes with Joel and his daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm misty eyed through the whole thing because I know that it's, it's the first scene of the game. She dies. Yeah. And I know what relationship he's going to have with Ellie. And I, you just understand so much more watching that scene, knowing the whole game, how much this is going to mark him. Yeah. And why yeah. he would become the man he becomes. 
it's it's so well done. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I need to talk about my favorite thing about this game. Yeah. Okay. Photo mode. Yeah, I haven't really oh, used it much. I I feel like I'm not doing I'm not giving the game actually enough attention because I am constantly taking photos in photo mode. Mm. I've taken like 150 Jeez. in my capture gallery, and my plan is like I'm, I'm actually kind of doing it systematically, where I'm kind of taking stuff I feel is interesting and I'm doing it in different things. And eventually, what I want to do when I'm done with the my campaign playthrough is not make a collage, but I want to like make an actual like album out of all this stuff. And I'm probably gonna put it up on the blog so I can share that stuff. Um, but there's just some really good stuff. Like I, it's really fun because it's such a powerful tool. You can adjust mm-hmm. pretty much everything you yeah. want. The camera can be a little wonky at times. Um, getting sometimes I want to get Joel out of shots because I just want to take like a still life of the area around us, and that's always a little tough. But yeah. you can work with it. Um, there's all these framing techniques. Like my favorite thing to do is I usually put a frame on it so it looks like a 2.4 to 1 anamorphic film. And then I do things with that. I use the noir filter a lot. And if you use the noir filter with a super wide depth of field, which is basically, that's deep focus photography. That's what Citizen yeah. Kane looks like in a lot of old black and white movies. It's mm-hmm. some of my favorite photography style ever. Um, you can really make it look like stills from that kind of thing. And it's really fun. I put on film grain in all of them. It's really cool. It's I've had so much fun with photo mode that I keep getting distracted from the game, and it is probably preventing me from getting as invested in the game this playthrough mm-hmm. as I was my first one. But I really love that photo mode. The game is so gorgeous. I love just kind of being a photographer in it and kind of trying to make, uh, for lack of a better term, art out of it because it's and it's just it's a cool tool. I kind of want to yeah. go back now and do that in Infamous Second Son a little bit. Yeah, although they're, I, they're very similar. Yeah, they're very similar photo okay. modes. And it's just so easy to use because it's that you press L3, you can do whatever you want with it, and then you just hit the share button. And I altered my share button so when I hit it, it just takes the screen cap. Yeah. Um, man, it, it this more than anything else makes me understand and love that share function. Yeah. yeah. Because I feel like I can actually make something out of this stuff when I'm done with it. And that's mm-hmm. really fun. So, yeah, I didn't bring any of them up here yet. Uh, I was going to show you some of those today, but I figure I'll just wait until I'm done with all of them. And Yeah. The hardest thing to get good pictures of is I've always been trying to get a good one of Joel getting killed by a clicker because of how his skin just gets I've pulled seen, out. I've seen someone get one of the bloater because the bloater like rips yeah, your rips jaw your, open. That's the toughest one to get. It's pretty fucking gnarly. Yeah. yeah. I've gotten some other gnarly ones. I've got a great one of Joel um, kneeing someone's head in on a bus and I framed it in such a way that you also see in the background Ellie stabbing someone. So that one's good, nice. but it's there's some little wonky things you see there, like Joel's facial expression sometimes does not match the kinds of things he's doing, <laughs> and those are kind of funny. I've so, seen yeah. some pretty good pictures of people with like two by fours swinging them and like the angle looking like he's going yeah. to hit like Tess in the back of the head, yes. and the, the expression on Joel's face is just like pure rage. I have some of those with him and Ellie, and I have one of my favorite silly ones. Is it's I did this all in like a sad black and white filter with like this. Um, haze around it and lots of grain and it's black and white and Ellie is kind of looking off into the distance and it's Joel pointing his rifle at her and it looks like the end of a mice and men or something (laughs) so yeah but this you you just get so many cool moments it's honestly it's like photography in real life there's just this kind of happenstance aspect to it Mm -hmm. and um it's really fun so I love that tool and I think that's that's a really cool thing to add to make the game feel like you're getting something really new out of it yeah um, because obviously the graphics and everything are great, but you have this new way to, for me to experience the game and to study and explore the world of the game. Yeah. And I really love that. And the fact that 
Infamous had this, and now this has this, and they're so similar that, like, I would have to, like, go back and look at them side by side, but I think they might almost be, like, the exact same. Yeah. I wonder if Sony's kind of setting themselves up to putting that in most of their first-party titles, because I think that would be fucking cool. Sure. If this was, like, a somewhat standard thing that, or at least something they would consider putting in in most of their games. I wish they would. I mean, you're, you're yeah. not losing anything by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be awesome. And, you know, uh, Uncharted 4 could totally use that, yeah. I feel like. So, yeah. That'd be cool. Alright, anything else to say on Last of Us Remastered? It's fucking good. Alright. So, let's see. What else have I been up to? I, I've seen some movies. All and right. these were interesting, because these were not, like, wide-release things, but sort yeah. of special events that were, I think, last week... Yeah, last week these kind of things happened. So, like, um, we've talked before about the new Dragon Ball Z movie, and how we're Dragon Ball fans. Yes. That's a new movie came out, Battle of Gods. It came out in Japan in March of 2013. came out on Blu-ray there in September of 2013. That's when I saw it. Um, I have that set. It's a cool set, although it has no subtitles. So I've just had to hone my Japanese while watching it. But yes, uh, or look up subtitles online. Yeah, I've looked up subtitles online yeah. and stuff. But anyway, it's I really love the movie. I think it's the best Dragon Ball Z movie easily because it's really the only real Dragon Ball Z movie. Yeah, like most of them are not. There's some that are kind of fun, but most. Of them I think are. there's at least one or two I would call legitimately good, but yeah. a lot of them are more guilty pleasure at most. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm looking at you, Broly too. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I like, guilty pleasure, pleasure. Yeah, really. Yeah, bad. because I like just Goten, Trunks, and Videl hanging out. Yeah, abject stupid Broly three. Yes, abject stupid. Yeah, Broly three. That one, you know, that's got a lot of Mister Satan and Android eighteen hanging out. But... Yeah, like all of them have some fun stuff with the characters. Yeah, but it's just like whenever you get to the action stuff, you're like, uh, like this is usually pretty well animated, but like. There's no story or anything to make it a compelling nope. like fight. So you're like, and there eh. are and there are some I can't stand. I think it's the seventh movie, the the one with the androids. Um, oh, it's Android like the 13. super androids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was pretty. Bad. I can't tolerate that one because it's just it's the least story heavy. Which yeah. is, none of them are story heavy. And they so all it's... have, and I think that one might be almost the worst. Either that or the first cooler movie. They all have that stupid fucking thing where it's like. They just refuse to go Super Saiyan or power up right. for like the entire fight, and you're just like, why? Like if you just fucking took it seriously for two seconds and actually tried to fight them, because they never do that in the show. Like yeah. in the show, they always fight at their whole like highest power when they're fighting someone who could destroy the world. But it's because it's a fucking movie, you have to wait the whole fucking movie for well, you, them to like take it seriously. You will like Battle of Gods then, because when yeah. the action breaks out and it, t- it takes place rather late in the movie, but when it comes. They, they fucking go to their higher forms. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, they're fucking fighting a god in this one. They right. can't fuck around and fight for like fucking 20 minutes in their normal form and be like, eh, let's just go Super Saiyan now. Whatever. Yeah. Alright, anyway, no, Battle of Gods is great. I mean, it was it was not written by Akira Toriyama, the author of the manga, but he had heavy, heavy, heavy influence on the story and characters and character design and everything. It's, it's his touch throughout. So it is the most Dragon Ball-esque of all of them in that it really feels like a product of Toriyama's mind. Whereas a lot of the movies feel like sometimes they get out of keeping with what the show is really about. Like Bioburly. Yes. Where the enemy is a giant, like, mutant clone monster sludge thing. Like Broly 1, to me, for honest. Because I think sure. everyone acts out of character in that movie in some yeah, ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, no, Battle of Gods, is, it's really fun. I mean, it's, it's mostly a comedy, but it's got such great mythology. I think it's got such a phenomenal character arc for Goku in particular. Where you really, it's so much, it, it really sums up who that character is. And I think because it was Toriyama working on this, he obviously understands who Goku is and who he wants Goku to be. And it really summarizes, I, I, you know, to me who that character is. And I love I mean, it for that. 
he wants him to be a god. Yes. But anyway, so this was, I saw it in theaters. Um, I saw it at a uh, Century Theater in Denver, in Lakewood. And um, it was pretty cool. It was a cool experience because, holy fuck, was this thing sold out. I got there about ten minutes ahead of time, and I tried to get there earlier, but there was no parking. Mm-hmm. Um, which was my first clue this thing was going to be popular. Yeah. So I got a good seat, but not my ideal seat. Um, but a lot of people didn't get seats at all because that theater completely filled up. And then there were people standing in the aisles and sitting on the stairs in the aisles and things like that. So this theater was fucking full. And I have since heard reports from other Dragon Ball fans that this was not an isolated thing. A lot of theaters did this. I guess a lot of theaters were overselling mm-hmm. and that they were capable of overselling. Yeah. So I think it's cool that Dragon Ball still has that popularity. Fuck yeah. I would not necessarily have expected... But because it wasn't like just a one-night thing. They showed yeah. it for four nights. They're redoing it this week. They're showing it in a bunch of more places and stuff. So it's not a limited theatrical thing so much. It's You can go see it if you want to see it. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. Um, but yeah, they were showing the English dub. And I'll tell you, going into it, I had certain expectations. Because I'm not a fan of the Dragon Ball dubs in America. I never have been, really. Um, and I've just never really been impressed with them. Don't have a lot of enthusiasm for those voices. Um, I don't like a lot of them. So I just wasn't expecting to enjoy the dub. I was expecting to be a little annoyed by the fan base because sometimes dub fans of Dragon Ball can get on my nerves. Um, like the the ten people wearing it's over nine thousand shirts, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. You know. I don't know if that's dub fan or that's just like stupid internet okay. meme fan. Sure. Whatever like, don't, it is. Don't put that on the dub. Okay. I mean, no, that's not the dub's fault yeah. because that's a older dub yeah <laughs> you know the current voice actors were not in that one yeah but yeah it's it's interesting so so I was kind of wondering if those things would annoy me and I went because I just wanted to appreciate the animation of Battle of Gods which is gorgeous on the big screen mm-hmm. well my the actual reality of it was totally inverted because whatever fuck video master they were showing in that theater looked like garbage it just was it was faded it mm-hmm. was like it looked like it was blown up. There were just artifacts everywhere. Any character who was not in the immediate foreground was blurry. It looked like a video. It, it, it reminds me uh, just like briefly after I watched Guardians of the Galaxy and like finished like the post credit scene and was walking yeah. out of the theater. I looked up at the screen and I saw at the bottom like an old like Windows XP bar <laughs> and a cursor on the screen. I was like. You're not even trying to hide it anymore, you motherfuckers! Like, yeah. you're just running all the shit off a goddamn hard drive. Yes, it's yeah. yeah, and I so and here's the thing: if they had actually gotten the movie on a hard drive, though, it would have looked good. Yeah, but I think they were probably just streaming it via satellite or something. So it oh, that's not, weird. Yeah, which is what Fathom Events, which is what ran this, used to do. But I didn't think they did that anymore. I thought they just sent them fucking hard drives. <laughs> It'd be fucking funny if the movie just starts like buffering. In the yeah, middle, like, I thought it was going to do that. It's, it's like, like the guy like backs out. It's like 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 I was watching the Sony Games Compress. Yeah, because he like backs out. It's like ah oh, fuck. Let's find like is there a Twitch stream of this? Like yeah. Sorry guys, you're gonna miss like the next three minutes, but we'll find a better stream. Yeah, so that was surprising. I thought they would have given this a competent presentation. I mean, again, I have the fucking Blu-ray from Japan of this. I know the movie looks good. Yeah. I've seen it. Uh, you know, it's does not look like this. So that was a little disappointing. Oh, no, expecting a modern movie theater to, like, have a competent means yeah. of projecting their film is I know. asking a bit much. Sadly, it is asking a bit much. So that was a little disappointing. So I didn't get what I wanted going to it, but I got something else, and this was ultimately better, which is that, one, Funimation put together... A fantastic dub for this movie. Mm-hmm. It's got some problems, but it is so good. I think it's and, and I you know I have not watched any long stretch of Dragon Ball in dub form since I was 
really young, so I can't comment totally on some of the recent stuff, but I've seen episodes of, like, Dragon Ball Kai, which they did a redub of, and it was much more competent. Yeah, really good dub. Yeah, and I've heard parts of that, and I thought, you know, it's not necessarily something I'm going to watch consistently, but I was like, you know what? It's not perfect. It's really good. If someone wanted to watch that, they would still, they would get the Dragon Ball experience. Yeah. You couldn't necessarily say that before. So that's really good. I feel like they, they improved it there, and I think with Battle of Gods, to me, it was even more impressive, because this is a challenging movie to dub. It is a comedy. It's got so much humor to it, and that's one of the things that is hardest to translate and adapt. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think the simplest way to sum it all up is that every single joke that landed in the Japanese version, of which there are many, lands equally well in English. And to watch it with a crowd, that was the greatest joy, was watching with the crowd. Everyone laughed at every big joke. Everyone got it. There were little in-jokes to, you know, parts of the series that I would not necessarily expect dub fans to be really familiar with because it's just never been as... Like, all the stuff with Pilaf and his gang, that's mm -hmm. not a part of Dragon Ball Z. That's yeah. not a super popular part of the franchise in America. People love those characters in this Fuck movie. yeah. That was cool. Pilaf and his gang are fucking awesome. They are awesome. They're awesome in this movie. They're hilarious. It's, they had, I thought their voices were really funny and stuff. It was great, and I think like the, the, the most impressive thing to me is that for uh, Beerus and Whis, the quote-unquote antagonists for the film, even though they're not really bad guys or anything, they can go Well, you don't have to end. be a bad guy to be an antagonist, Jonathan. No, that's true. Um, but yeah, so they're the antagonists for the film. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call Goku much of a good guy if you look at like <laughs> how he spends his life with his family and stuff and the choices sure. he makes, but he's definitely the protagonist. He is definitely the protagonist. Beerus is definitely the antagonist here. But anyway... Beerus has this wonderful, striking, really interesting voice in Japanese, and I wondered if they would be able to capture that in English. They did. I think it's Jason Douglas voiced him in English, and he is fantastic. He is such a good Beerus voice. It's kind of like when you hear Frieza in the English dub of Kai, and you're like, they found an actor who really can do the Japanese voice in English. Yeah, That's yeah, cool. it's the same kind of performance. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely like that. And he even brings something new to the role, like I think the Frieza guy did too, where it's just, it's like... The same character, but with something more to it, too. So yeah, you're not just yeah. hearing a straight copy. Mm -hmm. And the actor for Whis, totally great for that. So that was really impressive. And then I think a lot of the returning actors did great work. This is the most I've enjoyed Sean Schemmel's Goku. He, Because Sean Schemmel excels most at the kind of happy, carefree Goku, and that's sure, most yeah. of what he is in Battle of Gods, it's great in this. He really goes to town with that character. And they did a better job writing Goku here than I think they ever have before, where they got a little more of his... Hick side across mm -hmm. And there's this great joke in the Japanese version Where Goku is trying to introduce himself to Beerus And he's trying to figure out how to use Japanese formal form Which he would not know Because he grew up yeah. in the mountains So he's trying to figure out where do I put des And yeah. things like that And it's very funny And of course you can't do that exactly in English So they have him say other things And it's, they did it perfectly It's so funny you know, um, I think Chris Sabat's Vegeta. I'm I've never loved the actual voice quality of it, but I think he's a really good actor. And here, it just works perfectly. He's fucking hilarious in this movie. Vegeta has such a great role. Chris Sabat goes to town on it. And um, the moment that the theater lit up at most in the whole movie is at the end. Uh, Sean Schemmel does a little impression of Chris Sabat's Vegeta voice. That sounds pretty fucking it's, incredible. It's perfection. Yeah. It's so great. So yeah, and, and everyone's all of the voice actors are pretty good. The only one who still gets on my nerves really is. Um, Good God, do they need to recast Kaiosama? Because Sean Schemmel, again, good actor. His Kaiosama voice, fucking weird, doesn't fit the character. It's insufferable to me. And because Kaio has just mountains of dialogue in this movie, he is the primary expository force. And I can't really even understand what he's saying because it sounds like he's got marbles in his mouth. It's, you know, he is in full God mode in this movie, and that voice does not sound fitting for the God character. I mean, in Japanese, Kaiosama is voiced by the fucking narrator of the show. Yeah. Um, 
And I think Sean Shamel could probably do a good voice for him. It would just need to be a, a different voice quality. So, but that's... I would just like to say for the record, I have no problem with the dub Kaiosama voice. And I've, I have... Because I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast. Like, I have now seen all Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z in the original Japanese. Still don't have any problem with his okay. voice. I can't I understand it. Fun. I can't stand it. It just annoys me. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I think... I think... Because he's such a silly fucking character. Having a silly voice kind of works for him. He's a silly character in some ways, but he's also... We're introduced to him as a god. He knows things. He is wise. Kind He has... Kind of. He kind of doesn't know shit, actually. Like, he's kind of completely useless most of the time. But, I don't know. The, but the thing is, when we, you know, when we first meet him, the joke is that he is funny despite us thinking he's a god and he has these godly qualities. It's like, it's a common thing in Dragon Ball that someone will be, like Kame Senen, will be, you know, this high and mighty character and he will have all these great qualities, but he'll also be a pervert or something. Yeah. And I think it's funnier when the voice doesn't reflect just the funny side. I think Joji Yamana doing it in Japanese, because he has this godly voice, when he suddenly breaks out into comedy routines, that's funnier to me because it's not his default mode. Otherwise, with Sean Schemmel's Kaiosama voice, for me, it's he sounds like he should always be doing a comedy routine, and whenever he does exposition, it, I can't even understand it. I don't know. Like Maybe that works for like when the character's introduced... But that is the only time he is ever taken seriously, I feel like, in the whole series. is like, in this the movie. second he's introduced. Okay. In this yeah. movie, he's taken seriously. So, I mean, he's got some sure. really funny parts. But again, that those funny parts worked better for me in Japanese. Because, like, a big joke in this movie is that he's explaining who Beerus is. And he does it while driving on his planet. Which is just a road around this yeah. little planet. And it's funny. But it's funnier to me when it's this deep, godly narrator voice saying it while they're driving. Other than this, like, cartoon animal voice that I can't understand going around in circles. Well, maybe you so. need to get your ears clean because I can understand them just fine. Okay, whatever. Anyway, that's the part that annoys me, but that's always been a problem for me with the dub, so it's fine. I mean, if you lo- if you are a huge fan of the English dub of Dragon Ball Z, you're going to love this movie. They did a great job with it. If you are someone who really loves the Japanese and has just kind of treated the dub maybe as more of a curiosity, I think you'll be surprised at what a good job they did with it like this. Um, I wish we had all of it in this, this quality. Um but I think, you know, the Dragon Ball Kai has picked up again in Japan with the Boo arc. So they'll mm-hmm. at least get to do that. And they'll yeah, get to have yeah. all of Z done like that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we did get a taste of how Dragon Ball Nosy would sound with this dub quality. When they did, they put out the first Dragon Ball movie in America a couple of years ago in the middle of their Kai run. And they did hmm. use some, they recast everything. And they used some of the Kai voice actors for those characters. And it was a lot better. And I, I wish they could do some of that stuff again, too. But Don't call original Dragon Ball Dragon Ball Nosy. Because it took me, like, the entire time you're talking about that to figure out what the fuck you meant okay. when you said Dragon Ball Nosy. I just don't know. I never know how to talk about it. It's just the original just Dragon, Dragon Ball. Ball. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's a weird distinction. But anyway. I really so. like Dragon Ball No GT. No GT? Yeah. Okay. All of Dragon Ball No GT I think is pretty good They don't need to read up GT Because no one cares about GT yeah. It's fine um, Also the GT The GT dub at least Is hilariously awful Because you got rap music Behind everything And oh, everyone yeah. sounds True. insufferable so, I, don't, I think I think like the main cast In Dragon Ball GT dub is I've never liked good. Their like Young Goku or Gohan I thought their Young Gohan In the Kai dub Was phenomenal When they recast that But I've never had a problem With those voices Okay This yeah. sounds like a Chain smoking old woman To me I mean, Goku oh in the Japanese voices is a fucking girl the entire time. And she's a better actress than some of the... I'm talking about the old sure. stuff. They're, they are, they have become a fully competent... I mean, Funimation 
outside of Dragon Ball has always been competent in everything. It's just Dragon Ball when it goes back further and yeah, it's taking them whatever, longer to get whatever. it right. Anyway. Whatever. Let's just move on. What? Okay. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, it was fun. I was impressed. It'll probably come out on Blu-ray and DVD later this year, so if you haven't seen the movie, you should check it out. All right. All right. I also saw, this was fun, yes. the Angry Video Game Nerd movie, which we have mentioned here before. We really love the Angry Video Game Nerd web series. Yeah. And he made a movie. Yes, it he took did. him a very long time, <laughs> because independent movies do that. Yeah. And um, he's kind of right. It's going to have a digital release on September 2nd. Uh, that'll be its first kind of wide public release. But for now, he's kind of touring around the country with it, theater to theater, on, on like a per-theater basis. And it was being shown in uh, in Arvada here in Colorado last week, so I went to check it out. Again, another sold-out theater. I think it sold out like the day the tickets went online, so I was so lucky to get tickets for that. And it was really fun. It's a really good movie. Um, well, I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, because you can't yeah. judge it like you would judge a normal movie, because it is this... I mean super low-budget production. Yeah, and, I so. and I think one of the good things about it is they lean into the low-budgetness mm-hmm. of it. It's, you know, if they need an effect with the car, it's a toy car, and nice. they just let it be a toy car. Fuck yeah. You're, you're going to really like it because it's he's re- really inspired by all the B-movie and monster movie stuff he loves, and it's those kind of really corny effects, and I it's so fun, and, and it's, just, it's a joke every time, and they let it be a joke, and it's great. But it's got a good story... Um, the cast is really fun, and I think the movie has just so much heart and so much voice to it. And I think voice is something that even a lot of you know big ho- mini big Hollywood movies just don't have a voice. They're made yeah, by committee. Yeah, they're, they're made by too many people. Yeah. So yeah, like their message is kind of lost. In yeah. This spew of like, eh, it would be cool if we did this. I think it would be cool if we did this thing. Right. So you put it all together, and it's just yeah, yeah it's interesting, but definitely. Um, the AVGM movie has a lot of voice to it, a lot of heart. It's incredibly funny. And I think if you watch it at home, if you watch it with an audience, no matter how you see it, it's going to be funny. You're going to laugh a lot at it. The The hit ratio on the jokes is just absurdly high. But I do feel like if you didn't get a chance to see it in a theater with a crowd, you'll be losing something because it is such a great crowd interaction movie. And it plays... Yeah, because the only people who are going to go see the AVGM movie are like huge fans of AVGM. Yes. You're not going to get some like random people... Just... You might get, like, one random dude who had no idea what he was going to and accidentally went to the AVGN movie, and that would actually be even funnier. Yes. But, you know, so this movie, it's got so many good in-jokes. It's so much about fandom and community and those kind of things. So watching it with a crowd was just... It's one of the most fun times I've ever had in a movie theater because of that audience, because of how well the movie plays to that audience. It's just an absolute blast in that setting. I wrote a review of the film. You can read it on JonathanLack.com. It got... I will tell you, it's kind of interesting. My AVGM movie review has more hits than any other review I've written this year. Hmm. Um, in part, Cinemasker retweeted it. And oh, that's cool. Now I know what it's like to be retweeted by a major account. It's your phone goes off all fucking day with retweets and shit, and I wanted to figure out how to turn all that off. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, that was kind of interesting, and um, so lots of people were reading it. But yeah, so that review's up. Um, I kind of talk about everything there. It's completely spoiler-free, though, so if you haven't seen the movie, you can go look at that. And I talk about the fan experience a little bit, but I was really impressed. It's it's a really fun movie. Um, it's got... He really should do next either a horror movie or a monster movie, because there are two scenes in this movie. One that's like a fake horror scene with zombies. One that... And it's a couple scenes, this next other thing, with where he has a big, like, kaiju monster. Nice. And he does both of them so well. And I mean legitimately well, beyond, like, the cheesy effects. Like, they are just well-done scenes. He has a talent for that. He should totally do that next. Um, particularly the kaiju scenes. It's, it's like this robot, giant monster thing. 
and it's this great. It's a guy in a suit, and it's yeah, so well done. The way, and the way God intended. The way God intended, and it looks so yeah. fun, and it's and there's so many great jokes with that character. Um, God, it's it's really cool. And of course, the movie is about the whole ET conspiracy, where the Atari game is buried in the desert. Yeah, and it's them investigating it, and I love how you know wildly out of control it all spins. And then one of the best jokes in the movie comes from. They can't obviously show the logo for Steven Spielberg's E.T. in this film. Yeah. He can do that in the web series, but he can't do that on film. Yeah, yeah. So they have to, every time they show it, it's E.T. E.E.E.T. <laughs> and it's it's E.T. the extra special alien. That's really fucking good. <laughs> and then on the cartridge and on the title screen, they just took the E.T. drawing and put a mustache on him. <laughs> that's that's how really they, fucking good. So that's how they got around it, and it's great. But anyway, if you like AVGN, you're going to like this. If you don't like AVGN, watch some of his videos. Go to Cinemasker.com. The web yeah. series has been around 10 years, but you could totally start now. There's so many good ones on there. There's no bad yeah. place to start. Yeah, it's not like there's continuity or anything. No, not just, so much. Yeah, funny reviews. Yeah, and um, this is this is a fun movie. So, yes. Uh, now I want to... The next movie he makes, he should make a movie called E.T. The Extra Special Alien. Yes. That joke, this is one of those little gags in the background that got me every time we saw it. Yeah. And the movie's full of those. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Uh, Like I said, digital release September 2nd. All right. Sean, you want to move on to some news? Let's move on to some news. Movie news first? Sure. Let's do movie news first. All right. Little Comic Con stuff. That's not movie news, Jonathan. That's comic news. What are you talking about? Everyone knows that only comics are ever at Comic-Con, especially San Diego Comic-Con, here's something, right? I, here's something I need to talk about. Yeah, okay. So nobody likes Comic-Con. Everyone just talks about how it annoys them. Yeah. Comic creators are mad because everyone else has hijacked their fucking convention. Yeah. Comic fans are mad because everyone else has hijacked their fucking convention. Yeah. And people who go to Comic-Con are mad because it's apparently a giant, bloated, rotting corpse of a convention that is poorly managed and in too small a space and all of that. Yeah. Why, does Com- why is Comic-Con still a thing? No one likes it. Yeah, it's because I feel like San Diego Comic Con has now like sparked a huge number of like local Comic Cons, like Denver Comic Con that's held here in Colorado, and that's cool because a lot of those are a lot more personable and like individual and and have like you know hey there are fucking like comic book people here and shit if you want to go and see comic book people at your fucking comic convention, which I know yeah. sounds crazy. I want to. Why would you ever want to meet someone who makes comic books at a comic convention? I don't know. Clearly, you should only go to them to see like movie stars. But yeah, I mean, Comic Con, like more than anything else now, is a TV thing. Yeah, that's those true. are the big yeah. panels there. And it's just yeah. And the thing is, I think, I think unless your TV show has a comic book adaptation, you shouldn't have, or has some like comic book part to it, like Doctor Who. You or should. is an adaptation of a comic book, yeah, like, like Arrow or something. Yeah. You should not be allowed into Comic Con. Like yeah. you have to have. Even if it's just thin, you really have to have some sort of connection to comic books, or like they should just kick you out. And I think part of the problem now is that Comic Con fuels this myth that everyone has that if you're into like, you know, movies and TV shows and games, you're also into comics, which is absolutely not true. Comic, yeah. it's those like are comic so... books are totally different. Like, yeah, they're, they're completely owned medium. And, yeah, yeah. I've never really read American comics. I never. I don't have anything against them. I would love to have the time to do that. It's just not something I'm particularly into because it's kind of a tough thing to get into. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, it takes a pretty considerable investment of time and money yeah um but yeah it's like but people would i don't know it's just weird yeah this it's all a mess so anyway but this thing that was announced at comic con that has nothing to do with comics yeah, back to movie con yeah movie con um so legendary studios which previously worked with warner brothers they're now independent i think they released through universal but they made this summer's godzilla movie they made last year's pacific rim 
uh, the Guillermo del Toro film, and they announced at Comic-Con, I just think this is interesting because we've talked about all these new shared universes that are crossing up. Yeah. They want to make a shared monster movie universe. Bring it back to, with that's the fucking original goddammit shared universe was the old Toho monster movies. So I agree. The way bring it back. The way they're doing it sounds kind of weird, though. Sure, yeah, so they, not, I don't actually know a whole lot about how they're doing it. Yeah, so, so they announced they're making Godzilla 2, obviously, because that yeah. movie made all the money. And they're making a new King Kong, but it's not King Kong, it's called Skull, Skull Island. Island. Yeah, and which people, is the island that King Kong is from yeah. in the movie. And it took a while for everyone to figure out what this even was, because I guess... Because it sounds the, like a pirate movie to me. Yeah, just say, oh, I'm going to go see Skull Island. I'm like, oh, pirates? Cool. Well, I don't even know if you know this part, but like, if you were reading on Twitter or the live blogs during that panel... No one knew what it was from the trailer. They just showed an island, they showed a giant ape, and then it said Skull Island, and no one was sure what it was. Oh, well, and if they show the a giant of... ape, then everyone should get I don't know if they... King Kong. I might be wrong. I don't okay. know if they showed the giant ape. If they just show really an confused. island and say Skull Island, like, I've seen... King Kong is one of my favorite movies of all time. I would not even immediately associate it with King Kong if it was just Skull Island. Okay. Skull Island is so generic. Right. If you showed me an ape... And then you said Skull Island, I'm like, King Kong, okay. Yeah. But what, but I mean, what is it at that point? Is it just a straight King Kong remake? Is it a King Kong monster movie? Is it... I don't know. It's a movie about... Maybe King Kong is, like, not even really in it. Maybe it's, like... Or maybe it's King Kong's origin story, and it's, like, a baby ape ends up on Skull Island and gets raised by natives. I don't know. It's weird, but it sounds like they... develops a weird fetishistic attraction to white women. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like they might be trying to build, though, to a King Kong versus Godzilla movie here. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool, I guess. King Kong vs. Godzilla remake. Yeah. I guess is what it would have to be. I think that could be fun. Yeah. We'll I'd, see. I would I would watch that. It's if, sound- and if they do that, maybe they will finally, fucking finally release the Japanese version of King Kong vs. Godzilla over here. Because you still can't get it. Yeah, I quit hoping for that. Yeah. <laughs> fucking pisses me off. Yeah, but let's see. Uh, it's... Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, they also talked about, with Godzilla 2, it sounds like they want to sh- introduce Mothra and some other Godzilla yeah, villains. Yeah, King Ghidorah, they mentioned, yeah. which would be cool. Yeah. Get, like, an actual real proper villain monster in there. So Although, how do you feel about it? It sounds like, you know, because the Muto were fine in Godzilla, but they weren't super interesting designs. Yeah. It's just like, well, we really can't make our own interesting monsters. We'll just recycle what Toho did. Yeah, but, like, I don't... I mean, it's kind of like the lesser two evils. Like, it would I know, be I agree. awesome if they could make... Their own original monster. I just don't have like either, like n- I, I, nobody has like the creativity in Hollywood to do that. Like the right kind of creativity to make a really cool Godzilla style monster. It just seems like because they never fucking do. Yeah. What did you think of the the kaiju monsters in uh, Pacific Rim? I thought they. I mean, I like them. They were a little more unique, but that's what I thought too. They were. But the... they're still like the gray. Yeah. Yeah. They're the least interesting part of Pacific Rim to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're better than, like, just a Cloverfield monster that I felt like they had a bit more of a unique identity. in like Because, like, there were a lot of different kinds of kaiju in Pacific Rim. But, yeah, they were all, like, sort of, like, gray, bland, very obvious, like, what they're, like, kind of just ripping off from, like, the Animal Kingdom. Yeah. yeah. I don't want... They should just fucking go and begin and, like, make something super fucking crazy like Gigan and just have, like, a chainsaw on his chest and fucking hooks and, like, a laser eye... And a beak, like just fucking you don't need, and like three wings on his back that aren't even really wings. I don't even know why they're there. Just do that, like do that fucking crazy shit again. Or like the Gamera monster that his head is just a knife, and that's it. He's like a dog monster with a knife head, and that's his whole design. Like go back to that shit because that shit's fucking awesome. Maybe we will get a full-on Gamera movie. That would be great. Yeah, fuck it. Like make do Gamera again. Like. 
The, those '90s gamer movies were really fucking good. Maybe they can. Maybe they can make a good gamer movie again. Yep. All right. Other stuff out of Comic Con. They premiered this at the the Warner Brothers panel, and they put it online. Trailer for The Hobbit: The Battle of the Five Armies. Yeah, the Battle which, of the Five Armies. Which, as we said last week, this title fucked me up, weirded me out. Yeah. I'm okay with it now. I feel like I've adjusted to it. Yeah, I think but, I think your problem was you were just like you were so convinced that it was weird that you kept on saying it weird and making it even more weird for yourself. Yeah, the Battle of the Five Armies still a little too wordy for me, but whatever. That trailer is fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I'd watched it online a couple of times, but when I went to see Guardians of the Galaxy, they had it in front yeah, of that. Yeah, with mine too. That's when it really hit me. That's a good trailer. The cinematography looks so gorgeous, yeah. and it just like it's finally sort of it's hinting at what I was like. Hoping they're going to be able to nail, which is what they need to nail to sort of like really justify the, the three movie thing, yeah. is Thorin's arc because yes. they have done so they have done such a good job with that character and expanding that character out and doing so much with him, and it's like there are like a couple of just like lines and stuff with him in that trailer that kind of give me chills because it's like I know it's like if they can if they can pull off that ending with the way they've built up that character that's going to be a fucking awesome movie. I mean, I just think there's there's Thorin, but there's so much else. I feel like everything in those first two Hobbit movies is building up to all the material in this part of the story. Yeah. And all the new stuff, too. Like, I feel like that's what Tariel is there for. Mm-hmm. It's why they reintroduced Legolas. There's all yeah. these characters who feel like they are building to something. And the problem with judging either Unexpected Journey or Desolation of Smaug on their own is that it's all built up with no payoff. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're and, not... It's... Yeah, they're like they're, it's not a trilogy of movies. It's like part one, part two, and part three. It's different than Lord of the Rings, where you got yeah. payoff at every turn. Mm-hmm. Helm's Deep is the payoff to the two towers. Yeah. Um, we don't really have that with Desolation of Smaug, and a little bit with Unexpected Journey with Gollum at the end and all that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, because they do a pretty good job with the character arcs in that movie, like yeah. wrapping up well. Yeah, I agree. But so it's just it's really interesting, and I think it will totally have been worth it, if not a perfect expansion. I think it will yeah. have been a really worthwhile one, if all of those things pay off in this film as well as they have. Thorin is obviously the main one because they have expanded that character sufficiently and Richard Armitage is so good in it. And and if you know the book The Hobbit, I think the stuff with the Battle of Five Armies is... The Battle of the Five Armies. In the book it's the Battle of Five Armies! (laughs) Um, Anyway, it's... Like, that part is so dynamic where all the choices he makes, and I think particularly the choices Bilbo makes in opposition. Yeah. The strategy part before the battle even breaks out is one of my favorite parts of the whole Hobbit book. Mm -hmm. So, I think they can really make a great movie out of this. Yeah, and I think they have more than enough material to fill a film, which I think was the big question with those first two movies, where they felt a little bloated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I should say, they've also announced the Hobbit Desolation of Smaug Extended Edition, which is coming out November 4th. Did you see the Unexpected Journey Extended, extended Cut yet? No. Okay. Yeah, you should see it sometime. It's interesting. It's got a bunch of scenes that I think should have always been there, but I still think there are scenes in that movie that probably should never have been there, so it's a little bit of a balance. Yeah, um, like some of the... Lord of the Rings extended editions felt a little bit like Return of the King in particular. Return of the King a little bit like that. That's the only one that feels like that to me. I think yeah. uh, Fellowship and Two Towers are just completely improvements to me, and then Return of the King has two or three scenes I would have not put back in. Yeah, but yeah, wouldn't it? But it would be really fucking funny in the Desolation of Smaug extended edition if, like, in the extended edition, they put the end of the the Smaug fight and like Battle of Five Armies yes. just like picks up. After all that shit's done, it's like, I hope you watch the extended edition, because that's where we put this shit. Because we could figure out how to start this movie. I mean, here's my question. So, like, the Unexpected Journey extended cut was only 13 minutes longer, which I think was good. That movie did not need to be much longer. Yeah, yeah. The Destination of Smaug one, they say, is 25 minutes longer. Oh, jeez. What is... I don't even know what you you add into it. Yeah, like, 
Because there was definitely stuff when I saw an Unexpected Journey that I was like, okay, especially like Rivendell, it's like there's yes. clearly something cut out like in here. Thinking back to Desolation of Smaug, like, if anything, I felt like that movie needed to be edited down even more than it was. Like, I felt like it I was agree, too, too. It was, I think it was a little too long. And I thought that about the first movie, too, so that was why the yeah. extended edition was a little awkward. I did see they put one of the extended scenes online, so this is the only one I know about, and it's in Mirkwood. Where they're going through and they're, they have to go through all the traps and everything. And, yeah. um, it's all this, the spider scene, basically. Yeah. And it's that scene from the book that's not in the movie where they have to cross the river and when they go in it makes them sleepy. Okay, sure, yeah. But, but that's, doesn't, the movie doesn't need that It scene. doesn't need that and I'm interested because that's my favorite scene in Desolation of Smaug is all the Mirkwood stuff into the spider yeah, stuff because it's cool. so tightly edited. Yeah. It's Peter Jackson using his horror training. Yeah. And I feel like if you insert anything in there it might break the pace. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, the theatrical editions aren't going anywhere, obviously. Yeah, so. yeah. So, we'll see. Yeah. And at the very least, I mean, I want the extended cut Blu-rays because they have 27 hours of bonus material yeah. that's awesome. So they're still going all out on that stuff, which nice. is cool. Yeah. Anyway, up some time. yes. So Hobbit stuff, awesome. Let's see. Speaking of DVD and Blu-ray stuff, right? The Amazing Spider-Man Two Blu-ray and DVD came out last week, I think, and the week yeah. before that, some of the deleted scenes off it leaked. Now I don't know if this one in particular is actually on the DVD set. I um, think it is. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, but whether it is or isn't, it was online, and it's an alternate ending for the film or a. Expanded ending. Expanded I would say, ending. I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, tell us what happens in this yeah. expanded ending. So, I'll, scene. I'll just say, like, first of all, like, it's like twenty-seven minutes of deleted scenes, and I'm pretty sure it's all the stuff that's on the DVD because that's okay. like the video I watched, and I only watched this scene from it because I'm not going to sit down and watch twenty-seven minutes more of the Amazing Spider-Man Two because fuck that shit. Yeah. But I was like, I saw kind of what the, the brief description of the scene, and I heard people talking online about like this is so fucking terrible. It's like. Well, I have to see what this is. So, I'm just going to spoil Amazing Spider-Man 2, because fuck it, you shouldn't see the movie anyway, so it shouldn't matter if I spoil it. Uh, so, in the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2, big surprise, Gwen Stacy gets killed. And in the very end of that movie, Gwen Stacy gets killed, and then in like five minutes, they have a montage where Peter's like, I can't be Spider-Man anymore because I'm sad because Gwen Stacy's dead. And then Rhino shows up, because he was in the beginning of the movie, and they're like... Well, I should probably be Spider-Man if I want to stop Rhino. And then you see Paul Giamatti in the Rhino suit from, like, really far away. And you're like, is that Paul Giamatti? And then the movie's over. And so that's the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2. And how they expand it out is they... A part of the Amazing Spider-Man bullshit thing is that they made Peter's parents really important again. And it's all about, like, oh, my dad's dead. And I'm really, like... And that's a huge subplot. That's, that's like, one-fifth of the plot. Like, one of the subplots in Amazing Spider-Man 2 is Peter trying to find out what happened to his dad and get over that his dad is dead. He never really seems to give a shit about that his mom is dead. It's always about the dad. But, and that makes a lot more sense when you realize that the expanded ending is when Peter's standing at Gwen's grave, his dad shows up with a, like a beard and shit looking like he's... I thought you were going to say with a beer. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, with a beer is like, sorry kid. But that's basically what it is. He should have shown up with a beer because that's how awkward and weird the scene is. Because again... <laughs> For him, Peter's dad has been dead since he was, like, seven years old. And his dad just fucking shows up out of nowhere when he's standing at his dead girlfriend's grave. Is like, well, uh, hey, Peter. It's me, Peter. And Peter's like, what the fuck? You, you're dead? No. 
what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck? And he's like, no, Peter, it's me. I'm here. And I should say, the acting, I don't remember who the actor is for Richard Parker. And in, like, the flashback scenes, he was usually, like, fine yeah. in the movie. And here, he's fucking awful. Like, he gives the most wooden fucking stilted performance. Well, could anyone make it good? No. <laughs> I mean, it's a horrible scene, and it's just a horrible idea for the movie. But he's like, it's me, Peter. No, it's really, it's Peter, it's me. And then he's like, eh, daddy, and they hug. And then it cuts, and they they start talking, and he's like, I had to uh, fake my... And, like, the explanation is just like, I had to fake my death, because if I didn't, I knew they would come after you. And it was like, no, dude, like, there's so many ways you could have gotten out of the situation that it's like, that's not a sufficient... And who's they you having? I don't even like, know. Like, Oscorp, like, it's just like... Fucking no! Like this is bullshit. He's like, but I I needed to protect you, but I made a promise to your mother that I would come help you when you needed it. It's like well, my girlfriend's already fucking dead. Well, yeah, well, this is what I was gonna say. Does yeah. Peter point out that his girlfriend's dead because of fucking Richard Parker and not no. coming out? And, okay, no, like he's just sitting there because this is like a this is a good thing. I want this is a good thing that his dad has shown up out of nowhere after he has abandoned Peter for Peter's like entire life almost. And is there, like, and just, like, it's, yay, you're here. And it's, like, and then, but here's the biggest fucking kick in the balls, is while he's giving that speech, because remember, they, in the first movie, they really went out of their way to make it so that Uncle Ben never says the really famous lines, with great power comes great responsibility. And so they save that for this scene. Well, no, and it's even more than that, yeah. Sean. He not only goes out of his way, he says, your father had a saying. Yeah. And then he doesn't say the saying. That's so right. that he attributes it to his father. Yeah. So then, in the scene with his dad, his dad's like, "Well, Peter, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility." And then I was just like, "Nope, no, nah, you don't get to do this. You don't get to do this now with this character. What the fuck? Like Richard Parker is not the dude who's supposed to say that. Like that's." Like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of having him say that now? Like, you're supposed to tell that when fucking Peter's starting out being Spider-Man. Is he supposed to figure out that shit? Well, baby, when his fucking uncle dies because he's an idiot, that's when he figures out with great power comes great responsibility. You don't wait till the end of the second movie and then have his dad come out of nowhere and say it. Although this at least explains why he's such a shitty Spider-Man. Yeah. He never heard it. Yeah, he never fucking figured it out, apparently. Like, he... Because in the original comics, like, he doesn't even need to be told that. Like, he figures it out at the end of the story. And it's like, he doesn't even get that in the fucking Amazing Spider-Man. He needs to wait for his fucking, like... Dead dad. Dead, deadbeat... Dead, deadbeat fucking asshole dad to show up with his girlfriend's grave. God, I... It's so awful. The scene is so bad, and like the dialogue is so fucking awful. Like Andrew Garfield is still like giving a good performance, but it's like the writing is so terrible. And the guy who's playing Richard Parker just doesn't give a fucking shit. Well, would you give a shit if you had no. to read those lines? Yeah. I mean, I would just like give them back all the money they gave me and be like, "No, I'm not doing. I like Spider Man. I'm I, not doing this. I would rather shit. be homeless. <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to take every copy of this script and destroy it, so you can't make this movie anymore." I just here's what baffles and amuses me most about this because now that I'm just checked out on all things movie Spider Man, yeah. I can just sit back and laugh at this. Like I'm not going to watch this scene 
I'm yeah. not going to watch any of this shit. I'm done. Yeah, I only watched this one because, like I said, I watched this and like decided not to watch yeah. the rest of the deleted scenes. And I'll watch this out of morbid curiosity. And by the way, I looked it up. It is on the DVD and Blu-ray. And while all the other deleted scenes are in chronological order, they put this one first in the yeah, lineup. Yeah, because this was the first one I okay. just loaded up the video. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to skip through to find this scene. No. It's like, oh, no, it just starts up. So for some reason, they want people to see this. Yeah. And so here's what amuses me, though. There was a lot of material in the first movie yeah. they didn't want people to see that they cut, and basically fans and and just you know people online figured this all out in the based on of that like film. stuff on the trailers that yes. like, you could see scenes that weren't there. Yeah, yeah. Basically figured out in the first movie they cut a lot of stuff out of the second half of that movie where Peter would have learned basically what he learns in Amazing Spider-Man Two that yeah. his dad gave him the right blood so he could be the Spider yeah, Person. Yeah. He's destined to be Spider-Man. Yeah, he's he's the he one is the one true Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. So he learns he's the one true Spider-Man, and then there's also heavy hints throughout the Amazing Spider-Man 1 that they did not pay off on in that movie, but they probably had filmed scenes where they would have, where um, Peter's father is not dead in that movie. Yeah. Like, clearly, there is no line of dialogue that even comes close to indicating that his parents are dead in that movie, if you listen yeah, closely. Yeah, they're just missing. They're just yeah. missing. And the only way you know they're dead is Peter looks on the computer at one point and sees something about the plane crash, but you could put that in in post. They yeah. didn't film it with that. You can uh-huh. It's a plate. You can put yeah. it in wherever you want. So, very clearly, they were going to do something like this, or hint like this, in the first movie. Yeah. Cut it all out. Yep. Then we in the second movie, they pay off on some of that from the first movie, but then they cut all the stuff where his father comes back, yeah. they cut it out. And again, like, and it's really, like, this scene, even though it's awful, makes so much more sense in the movie when you, like, remember that the first scene in Amazing Spider-Man 2 is, like, five minutes of his parents on the plane trying to upload the fucking bullshit to the bullshit in the bullshit. <laughs> and, like, that's the whole beginning of the movie, and his mom gets shot. And it's, like, it's obvious that his dad's not dead when you watch that scene at the beginning because, like, they never show him die. If you never show a character die on screen, they're not dead. Yeah. It's, like, the rules of filmmaking. Yes. Yeah. So, even though it's fucking impossible that he would have survived it, but Yeah, whatever. no. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, that plane crashed in the middle of, like, the fucking Atlantic Ocean. Like, I don't know how he managed to fucking get back. I mean, are we going to learn in Amazing Spider-Man 3 he also has the spider powers? Is that yeah. how it works? No, he's fucking... We find out that Sony secretly bought the rights to Namor the Submariner, and his dad is Namor. That's, that's going to be what this is. And so that means that Peter is the Prince of Atlantis. Oh god! I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> Fuck it. That would be way, but be- that's a way better idea than anything they could come up with. Of course, it's- I would totally watch some weird alternate reality where Spider-Man is also the son of Namor and Prince of Atlantis. That sounds fucking <laughs> awesome. God, but it's just. They don't know what the fuck they're doing with these movies. Because no, no, they just and, keep on like, cutting out their own plot points. Well, here's the thing, though. Sequels. All of those deleted scenes in Amazing Spider-Man 1 we know exist but have never seen, they didn't yeah, put true, those yeah. out. Why did they put this one out? Maybe they just have decided to abandon the dad yeah. being alive thing. Like, maybe they filmed this and, like, Mark Webb watched this cut of the movie with this scene in there and was like, what the fuck did we make? Like, there's no way to salvage this thing but at least I can take this scene out. It's like, at least I can make like this movie slightly less offensive to Spider-Man fans but here's by the not thing. having the deadbeat dad say the great power, great responsibility line. But here's the thing. Would the movie have been better with it in because it would pay off on other things within the movie? And it would have given... Yeah, this is a good point. It's like, do you want a shitty resolution to a shitty plot or you just want the shitty plot to sizzle and fade away and like forget about it? That's a good... I don't know the answer to that question, John. It's an eternal question. We, yeah. This happens a lot in fiction. But yeah, I mean, would the ending as a whole have felt more because it's not two minutes from Gwen dead to Peter's ha- yeah. fine again? 
But but see, that's the weird thing, though, is that we would have had this big moment with his dad, and then we would have had that big offensive bullshit moment with her at graduation talking about death. Yeah. Right in a row. Mm-hmm. So, I just... I, why did Sony even release this on Blu-ray? They should bury it, delete all the yeah. masters from their computers, burn the film if it was shot yeah. on film, I don't know. Just, yeah. I wonder, do you know in the deleted scenes, is there any of the stuff they cut with Mary Jane, or did they leave that? No, that's all out. Yeah, Yeah. Because I think they would have had to pay that actress if they were to release the footage. Yeah. Because that that sucks, because that's like the only deleted scene from that movie that, like, I actually kind of want to see, is I'm curious, what, like, actually having now seen the movie, like, what the fuck did Mary Jane come in that shit? I can tell you where she's in it. Oh, um, you know? because fans have figured this out, and Andrew Garfield talked about it. Oh, I basically, know. she would have been. There's this cafe he goes to a couple times in the movie. Um, it's just like sure. a throwaway thing he's in, yeah. and she was a waitress there, I guess. And then there's a scene where he like they live nearby, and and this is what Andrew Garfield said in an interview. They like he takes her out on his motorcycle or something, which apparently in this cut Peter would have had a motorcycle. But yeah, huh. that would have been pretty much it. I think the other reason they can't release these scenes is that Shailene Woodley is a star now. They're going to have to recast that part. She's not going to come back for a bit part in Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, so they're going to. And she saw this movie. Yeah. No, yeah. she's better than that. She's a good. She's a legitimately good actress. Like Emma Stone, who is probably dancing around all day, happy yeah, that she's dead. They killed me off. Fuck yes. She's probably you know she and, she and Andrew Garfield are dating. She probably just rubs it in his face every day. Yeah, like, I don't have to be in these fucking movies anymore. That's gonna break them up. I feel bad for them. Yeah. This tension is gonna be bad for that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's move on. That stuff about a fucking, that fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. The the film that shall not be named. All right, let's talk about. Oh yeah, Batman v Superman. Dawn of Justice. Yeah, I was waiting for you. It's like, you have to say the full title. Yeah. I have to, like, swallow my vomit in the middle. Yeah. You have to say it, and then go, yeah. go on. Yeah, it's not good. All right, so Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice uh, was set to come out on May 6, 2016, on the same day as Captain America 3 Dawn of Justice. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what they're yeah. called. Um, but same day as Captain America 3, and I had been predicting that they were going to flinch and move because... Marvel, it doesn't matter who's in these movies. Yeah. Marvel, I think, can beat up DC right now yeah. on film. And, and Captain America would beat a Batman. Yes. So, so uh, they moved. They moved to March, which would make this pretty much the biggest film ever to come out in March. Hmm. A Batman film, a Superman film. Those are pretty big. Those are traditional a summer. Justice movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, and March has become one of the most profitable months of the year for films. So anyone who th- is out there thinking, oh, they're giving up on this movie. No, they're going to make a shit ton of money in March on this. Yeah. It's just... It is a different kind of month. Um, but, I mean, like, The Hunger Games opened with $150 million here. It's not a limit on box office. Yeah. So, but I think it's interesting. I do think this happened the weekend, or the week after Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Yeah. And honestly, if I were to analyze it, it's DC looked at Guardians of the Galaxy and said, Holy shit, the movie with the talking raccoon made $100 million. Yeah, the talking August. raccoon and his tree buddy that can yeah. only say his name. Made $100 million in August. We can't think of what Captain America can do in May. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. it's like people like color and fun. We can't compete <laughs> with that. We're only depressing, hollow, sad motherfuckers, and we can only make shitty, sad, depressing superhero movies. We got to get away out of like the bright, shining light that is like the Marvel movie franchise. Yeah. So yeah. there's too much color. Yeah. And they do have a lot of flexibility with this film because basically they're filming it now. At the very least, it'll be done by next summer. So it'll be sitting on the shelf for a long time, no matter what. 
Um, yeah. But so they could have released it whenever they wanted to. I just think it's interesting. And within this, they also announced like sixty dates or something yeah. for DC movies. Yeah, they did like kind of like the thing with Marvel where they were like, "We have plans for making. We have like." dates locked down or like decisions made for movies like 10 years from now and I'm like you should probably wait till yeah like Justice League at least before you were deciding like a 10 year plan like that much in advance yeah because you don't know if you're you should wait until your multi-film fucking universe bullshit thing takes off before you start yes. Laying the groundwork, you know. Right. Marvel has a stuff. Marvel has a five year plan to twenty nineteen, yeah. but they also again the movie with the talking raccoon made a hundred million dollars. Yeah. In its opening weekend. So they can do that. They know they are safe. Yeah. And I also I would predict Marvel probably knows what those movies are. Do you think DC actually knows what all these dates are even gonna be? I think they have like ideas for movies they want to make, but it's like you don't know if you're going to want to make like a Flash movie or Green Lantern movie off of Justice League because like you don't know how well they're going to be received. Like, it seems weird. It's like you're green-lighting these characters and stuff. Like, presumably that must be the movies that they're planning on making. It's like you don't know how, like, they're going to go off in yeah. Justice League. Be like, you know, it's, it's like trying to, like, green-light a sequel before you even see, like, a tr- like, like even before anyone knows anything about the movie, really. Right, like, you know, Marvel greenlit the sequel for Guardians of the Galaxy the week before that movie came out. But they had tracking. They knew how yeah. it was going to do. You know, that was not a risk for them to announce that. Mm-hmm. So, it's just so weird. And I... Here's another weird thing. Like, uh, Drew McQueenie at HitFix, I think, broke this story the other day. That they are working on an Aquaman movie, and they have two writers at Warner Brothers who have written several Warner Brothers projects. And they have them competing to write an Aquaman script. They assigned both writers separately to write separate Aquaman scripts, and then they'll pick which one they like best. A, that's draconian and anti-writer and awful, and the WGA should have rules against that, and it's kind of sad that they don't. But two... And then they should have the two writers fight to the death. Yeah, I mean, how and fucked who, up is that? Whoever wins. Can you imagine? I mean, they say the pen is mightier than the sword. Let's put it to the fucking test. Yes. Writer battle royale. So, they can't even figure out how they're going to write these movies. And then you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. They're going to get these two fucking Aquaman scripts, and they're going to look at them, and they're like, well, they're both... There's good stuff in both of they're these. They're going to combine them. Yeah. Why don't we just take the best elements of both and make, like, one super Aquaman movie? Because that's how writing and scripts work, right? And then they're going to make another, like, Amazing Spider-Man 2-style yeah. shit fest, probably. Yeah. clusterfuck. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Again, I liked Man of Steel, and I think this all their plans sound weird. Yeah. I don't... I didn't like Man of Steel, and I think all their plans... Sound doubly weird. Because here's the other thing I would say, especially in the wake of Guardians of the Galaxy, which continued to show how how good Marvel is at fluctuating tone and giving us movies that don't all feel like the same film. Yeah. If their plan really is, like they showed with Man of Steel, where they're going to take every DC superhero and make a Christopher Nolan movie out of them, I don't. That's not. I don't want to see that. Audiences don't want to see yeah. that. Man of Steel did not do anywhere near as well as Batman, and I don't. You know, Marvel does well because they make they're movies that make people happy. Yeah, and like movies that are appropriate to the style, like the character that is in the movie, doesn't they don't make a movie that is like at odds with what the character in the movie is supposed to be, like Man of Steel. Like it's I, supposed to be this happy, enlightening, hopeful character who make this dour, empty, fucking colorless film. It's weird. I don't I don't fully get it. I don't think you can make dark gritty Aquaman movie. I don't think you can do 
I don't. But you know they're working yeah, on it. I mean, it, but it's funny because DC did try to like really revamp Aquaman, and like I think it was like the late nineties or early two thousands where he grew his hair out. He got like a goatee. He took his fucking like orange scale shirt off and went bare chested, and his hand had gotten cut off, so he replaced it with a fucking hook. He was like, "I am badass Aquaman, motherfuckers." Just a, that's just definitely the Aquaman that they're going to go for. It's like, man, nobody likes Aquaman. I don't. I think like people doubly don't like trying to be really tough Aquaman. Like, if you're going to make an Aquaman movie, you have to accept what Aquaman is and just go for it. You know, you can't try to make him all badass and gritty. I also don't think you can really do dark, gritty Wonder Woman, and yet the costume yeah. they showed off of Gal Gadot in the Wonder Woman costume at Comic-Con yeah. is totally the Christopher Nolan version of the costume. It's yeah. just a... It's colorless. It doesn't really look like the Wonder Woman costume at all. Yeah. It just... Have they... Here's the thing. They want to, like, rip off Marvel so much, but yeah. have they watched a fucking Marvel movie? Captain America... Is fully colorful in yeah, both yeah, movies. Yeah, it's like bright blue and red, motherfuckers. Like that's, he's yeah, he's not wearing this like almost black suit, like or yeah. like you know the kind of thing that they're trying to do with their movies. Even the Captain America costume in the first half of Winter Soldier, which is like the more functional one he's using, yeah. that's not. It's still got color. Yeah, yeah, it's still like way more colorful than anything in their fucking movies. Yeah. I mean, God, and, Superman's cape is just going to be black in the next movie, yeah. probably. I don't know. It's like. Man, dude, but what, like the, the most depressing thing about this is if they end up making a Flash movie in that style. Oh god! Because it's like out of all of DC's heroes, like Flash is the most happy, fun, colorful, exciting. Just like not like he's like they're going to make Flash like dark and violent and depressing, and like Flash is going to end up killing someone by like <laughs> running their head over or something, you know. It's like, ah, oh. man! If they make the Flash kill someone, I am seriously fucking out. Like, I'm just like going to like boycott the movies. That would be so f- annoying and depressing, you know. Well, apparently, you know, the Flash TV series on the CW this fall is apparently really fucking yeah. good. So you'll have that. Yeah, I hear it's it's Flash is very fun and happy in that. So we'll see. Um, I think that's pretty much it for movie news. Yeah, we'll go ahead and move on to. I don't know. Maybe it's happier stuff. We'll see. Yeah. Alright, so Sean, you want to talk some stuff about video games? Let's talk about them video games. Alright, we're going to go a couple weeks back, and then we're going to get up to the present where we have a lot of Gamescom stuff. Yeah. But let's go back. I think the first relevant thing from this period is um, EA Access was announced. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I think this is fascinating Mm -hmm. just to talk about, because it's definitely a... It's part of a trend, but it's also a new step for gaming. Yeah. Um, So EA... If you don't know, they're a company that makes lots of games. Yes, Electronic Arts. Yes. They make video games. Yes. I don't like their, their logo as much now as when I was a kid. Yeah. When it was much more fun and colorful, mm-hmm. but whatever. Uh, EA Access is this program they announced exclusively right now for Xbox One. Not even other Xbox platforms, just the one. Yeah. And it's uh, basically you pay four ninety nine a month, mm-hmm. or I think you can pay $30 for the full year and you get, that's obviously a little cheaper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's four ninety nine a month. And basically you get access to a library of EA titles on the Xbox One. So they're obviously very new titles because they're on the one. Yeah, it's like Battlefield 4 and FIFA and stuff like that. Madden and things like that. Yeah, so you get all of those and you can download them. You can play them as much as you want. If your subscription lapses, you lose access to them. You won't lose your save files or anything. Those are all... Basically, once you have the program, when you download a game, it operates like any other game on your system. Yeah. It's basically PS Plus. But for EA games. But for EA games. And I think this is interesting on a number of levels. We've had this with PS Plus for years now, 
Xbox has started that over the last two yeah, years games with games with gold. With gold. Yeah. Um, and that has changed a little bit over time, how they've done that. But this is the first, like, you know, publisher-specific program, and it raises a number of questions. For instance, is, is EA going to opt out of all future games with gold, PS Plus kind of things? Yeah. Are more publishers going to do this individual? You're going to have to go much more piecemeal a la carte mm-hmm. from now on. It, it opens up a floodgates in a couple of ways. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think? Yeah, like, I think it's interesting that it's happening, but it's something that's, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me as, like, a consumer to want to, want to buy something like that. Because, like, one, EA, if, like, it would make a lot more sense on the PC because EA has a huge backlog of games on there. And they have Origin, which is yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. But on the Xbox One, it's like that platform is only a year old and, like, there's only so many EA games that EA can make and if it's like it only makes sense if you play like most EA games you know if you play Madden and FIFA if you play like all their sports selections and you're way into Battlefield and you really like Need for Speed it's like and and, and like you play and you play like every single Bioware RPG then it kind of makes sense but a lot of those games are not in it yet yeah but yeah. it's like like for me, the Bioware game or the EA games that I usually play are like Bioware games, and that's kind right. of it. Like every once in a while, EA will come up out with some other title. Like I will probably play Star Wars Battlefront when that comes out if it looks good. And that kind of stuff. Like I will or Dead Space. I like that a lot, but I don't play like every single fucking EA game because I don't give a shit about sports games, and I don't play a lot of racing games, and I don't like Battlefield. So. But, here's but the, even, like, I don't think there are a lot of people who like all of those things at the same time because EA, you know, to their credit, offers a, like, creates a diverse, ty- like, a diverse quantity of titles, but it's not, like, enough that I would ever pay a subscription for access to that, you know? Although I do, and this, is, this has been my thought and prediction from when this was announced, is that because the, you know, while they offer a lot of different kinds, obviously the, I think, overall volume is sports games makes up the probably biggest part of their catalog. Yeah, yeah sports and, is in the end. Yes. Yeah. And, and I do think this is probably their primary audience for this is sports game fans because sports game fans, they're going to buy the new sports game every year. If they can get yeah. it with just a subscription and they can always be playing their new favorite sports games, that would be worth it. That is a sizable audience. I imagine there is a sizable overlap between sports games fans and Battlefield fans. Probably, yeah. And that's basically all there is right now on the program is sports games and Battlefield 4. Yeah. And I think that audience would be worth this. They would be worth it to them, and I think it would be worth it to EA to offer it to them. But I agree. I think for a lot of gamers, uh, yeah, like you said, I would just buy my EA games more, you know, one by one. Yeah, I would buy an EA game when I'm yeah. like, that looks like a good EA game. It's like, it's not like, oh no, it's not like every single EA game is a fucking masterpiece. Like, that's not, like, they usually don't make shitty games, but. They don't just constantly make games and, like, I have to get an EA game. Like, every EA game is incredible. Like, the way that, like, like, Valve comes out with a game. I'm like, I have to get a Valve game. Or if, like, I have to get the new Bungie game. Or I have to get the new Rockstar game because that's an assurance of a level of quality that I can be confident in. EA is a fucking publisher. You don't have that level of, like, confidence. Yeah. So it's really interesting. And, and you know, there are other implications. EA has had quite a few games in the PS Plus Instant Game Collection. Yeah, Last definitely. year they did Battlefield 3. This year, I think Dead Space 3 was yeah, in Dead there. Yeah, Dead Space 3 was on Yeah, there. so it's not like they haven't supported it, and they've supported it with big games. Yeah. Is that going to stop now? I mean, I mean, part of this news was that Sony does right, not want it on their platform. So, obviously, like, that creates an interesting situation. I definitely think on the Xbox platforms, 
it would not make sense for them to then put anything on games with gold. You know, yeah. for, like just, it's on their own weird subscription thing. And we need to talk about that Sony yeah. thing because they fucking dissed it. Yeah, like, heavily. Yeah, it was because I mean I think the obvious reason why Sony does not want it is PS. Yeah, it's because it would just come like directly compete with their own service. Yeah, and that does not make sense. It's like, and I have no problem, like I said, like, it doesn't even make sense to me as a consumer to buy this, so I have no problem with Sony being like, no, like, we just do the same thing, but with, like, way more stuff. At a better value, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that was like, I thought that was like the thing that they said in their statement was like, we don't think that EA Access offers a value to the PlayStation community that we think is really fair or whatever it was. Like, it's basically like, it's not a good value. They didn't need to go that far. That seems like a pretty pretty fucking. I don't know. Like, it's like you don't need to go that far. You can just be like, "Yeah, we don't want to do this." But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, but one of the things that the EA Access thing that I think would be really bad, and I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think the EA Access thing is going to take off that much. Is but like, if other publishers, like if Ubisoft and then Activision started doing this, that would then be getting really that would be too much because. I mean, that's one of the things why I don't want EA Access is I don't want a publisher-specific subscription service because that doesn't make any sense. It makes a lot more sense to have something like Games with Gold or PlayStation Plus. That's something more like Netflix, where you have this broad variety of things made by all these different people, published by all these different companies, that are then offered to you instead of it being like this really narrow selection. Because it would be like, the equivalent of this would be like if Paramount decided to offer their own Netflix. It's Which, like, I should say, all the movie studios want to do. It's yeah. just not feasible right now. Yeah, they would love to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, is that all the game publishers would love to be able to just have their own slice of thing. Yeah. You pay them directly, and you never own the game. That's what they want. That's what the movie yeah. companies want. They don't want anyone to own things. That's why, they don't, that's why they're trying to push physical media out. Yeah. Physical media is not dead. The majority of people still use it in in most ways. Yeah. Um, more tech savvy people, you know, we don't necessarily think that, but we're more slicers, you know, slice yeah. of the audience. And but everyone, all the studios would like you to do that. All the game publishers would. And this is definitely one of those first steps where they're really trying to segmentize it. Yeah. But the segmentation is bad on a number of levels. Like I think part of it with PS Plus is that. Beyond just they Sony sells their own service, you don't want your game platform to be segmented like that. Yeah. You want PS Plus to be the thing everyone subscribes to, and that's the one thing, and that's what a console is about. Is It's just yeah. this one thing, everyone's using similar hardware and equipment and everything, mm-hmm. and it doesn't get segmented like that. Yeah, it's like I don't want to have to like manage three different subscriptions on my console dealing with like that's how I get my games now, you know? It's bad enough that you have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and all yeah. those services for video, you know... Yeah, but yeah. I agree with everything you're saying about EA Access. It's like it's know. an interesting idea. It's just like I don't think it makes sense from a consumer perspective to buy yeah. something that's like only an EA subscription service. I agree. Well, I mean, out of all the publishers, EA is the only one that can do this feasibly because I think they do offer a wide enough variety and enough games. Like Ubisoft, it would make any sense because it would basically be like an Assassin's Creed subscription service, and Activision yeah. like only puts out Call of Duty and now Destiny. So. Yeah, Ubisoft is different. If you like one Ubisoft game, you like them all because yeah, because they're, they're all the same game. At yeah, some point. Uh, distracted enough. Yeah, but anyway, speaking of EA, right? Uh, Bioware, yes. one of the companies that publishes through EA. Yeah. Uh, Casey Hudson, the director on all three Mass Effect games, yes, and producer has uh, left that studio. Does mm-hmm. not sound like it was a contentious exit. It's not yeah, like Marty I mean, O'Donnell yeah. getting kicked out. Mm-hmm. Sounds like he left to kind of pursue other. Dreams. Yeah, I mean, he was at 
Bioware for a very long like you said like yeah. he was the game director on the Mass Effect trilogy that's a long time to yeah. spend like on one thing so it makes sense that now that that trilogy is basically done it seems like I think he it sounded like he had some hand in like the new IP that Bioware was developing and then like decided yeah. to leave like that yeah, it doesn't sound like it's some like yeah yeah and, like he got in a fight with like the executives because there was something like that yeah just decided to move on so it's just interesting because he was a obviously huge part of Bioware's success yeah in terms of the Mass Effect games I, I know he worked on Knights of the Old Republic too mm-hmm. right yeah yeah so um, definitely a big loss for the studio but I hope he does some cool stuff in the yeah, future yeah cool to see where he goes and what he does I hope he doesn't go make free to play MOBAs like everyone yeah. else who yeah I have yeah, I like, hope he goes and play like an actual like proper video game yes. thing instead of yeah making like Flappy Bird Five or something. My dream for all these people who are leaving their various video game companies is that Disney is hiring them to make the next great Star Wars game. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, like Amy Hennig. Yeah, yeah, and Marty O'Donnell can go score that. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I Casey Hudson probably doesn't want to do Star Wars again either. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds like he wants to do something new, but obviously incredibly talented guy. Mm-hmm. Wish him success. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Assassin's Creed Rogue has been announced. Now, yes. this was the worst kept secret in gaming this year. Yeah, we've known. Like, it was one of those things where it's like we've known that they were splitting Assassin's Creed and making a new Gen 1 and an old Gen 1 for so long that I kept on forgetting that they hadn't technically announced it yet. And I was like, and what is that game? The, the, like, I must have seen a trailer for it. It's like, oh, you should, no, it has not yeah. been announced yet. And that's actually the most interesting part of this announcement to me is that it's it's basically the game we expected. It's set in pirate time still. Yeah, they're it's, calling it the end of the Kenway trilogy, which makes no sense. This is like Assassin's Creed 3 took place in like the 1770s. Uh, Assassin's Creed 4 took place in like the 17th, like late 17th century and then now this one takes place in like the 1750s and 60s. So. It's like, what? That's yeah. not a fucking trilogy. Like, they're all like three different protagonists from like different fucking decades, man. Yeah. Well, whatever. It's still in that style, though, where you're going to have the ship battle. It's, yeah. It seems like a much more direct sequel to Assassin's Creed 4 yeah. than Unity is. I mean, it's not the same character, but it's got a lot of the same mechanics, it yeah. seems like. It's running on the same engine, we assume, mm-hmm. and everything. So that's interesting. But what is it most interesting to me about all this is that. They announced it so late that I was just kind of assuming, so that they would not compete with themselves, that the newest, the the old gen Assassin's Creed would just come out like next year in February, maybe yeah, in like, like a, a dry release. month. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but no, it's coming out a week after Unity. It's coming out November fourth. Yeah. So a little interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think the main reason they're making this game is because you know, the 360 and the PS3 have a huge install yeah. base. And the vast majority of, the, of those people have not moved on to the new consoles. And so that's why they're making the game in the first place. So it makes sense to me that it's like you're not expecting, like, they're not expecting, like, you or me to yeah. go out and buy both of these games. They're expecting us to buy Unity and people who only have 360 or PS3 to buy Rogue. It's just they're starting the marketing effort rather late for that, too. Yeah, that's definitely true. But who knows? Maybe the game just wasn't ready to show off before now. Yeah. Um, they wanted to focus on... Obviously, they do want to push people towards Unity. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah Rogue will be there for everyone else. And it looks like Rogue will be good, too. Because I yeah. like the, the Assassin's Creed 4 mechanics so much. And I'm sure this will be fun, too. Although, the more I see of Unity, the cooler that game looks Yeah, it seems like with Unity, they are trying to change up a lot of the Assassin's yeah. Creed formula. That's appreciated. And it's just the visuals look. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I can't wait. I, I love that this... Fall, we are finally getting a lot of next gen only games. Yeah, that's yeah. they look awesome. So yeah, and I can't wait until like the summer or whatever when Assassin's Creed Rogue like 
remastered edition comes out on the new consoles. I mean, that's the thing, is that while it's running on the Assassin's Creed 4 engine, hey, that also came out on PC and next-gen consoles. Yeah. So they could put it out yeah, there just as easily. definitely going to end up getting ported. Yeah. And I will somehow... I'll like, play my, it. My curse is that I will end up playing it. I don't want to. You never played Liberation. Yeah, that doesn't count. That's okay. a spin-off title that looked so bad that there's no way yeah. I was going to play it. Okay. Well, let us move on. Uh, Gamescom news. So, yes. Gamescom, the press conferences were yesterday, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this, the conference itself is going on today. And um, one of the first pieces of news out before even the press conferences started is that Journey and the Unfinished Swan are confirmed for PS4 release later this year. Yep. In 1080p. High frame rate. Yeah, sounds frames. pretty cool. And if you own Journey already, you'll get it on PS4. Yep, yep I saw that. I st- I have it on PS3. I bought it. I still just haven't gotten around to playing it. But I'll wait for this version. That'll be yeah. that'll be really a good way to play it. I feel like. Yeah, it's like I'm. It's something where it's like I'm really happy they're doing this, but Journey is. It's like Journey is the kind of game that's like I almost don't even want to replay it because it was like that experience was yeah. so special and perfect. That's like. Oh no! It's not the kind of story that right. that benefits a lot from re-experiencing it because it's just such a like emotional thing. It's not yes. like The Last of Us, where it's but, very uh, much a plot. But even if you're not going to play it, aren't you? Yeah, happy yeah, it's being I'm preserved really, and yeah, I'm yeah. really happy that other people are going to be able to play because because yeah. there are a lot of people like like you know the only reason I had the opportunity to play it in the first place is because you moved in into the apartment and brought your PS3 and that's how I played it. Like if you had not done that, this is how I would be playing it because it's like this would be the first time I have a console that's on. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely really interesting. And I just, you know, I like that they're bringing a lot of stuff over to PS4 with minimal fuss. You know, you're not yeah. having to buy it again. You know, when Minecraft comes to PS4, I think you have to pay a $5 upgrade fee because it is technically a very different version of the game. Mm-hmm. But there's stuff like that. You know, um, Hotline Miami is coming this month to PS4. And if you already have it, you don't have to pay a dime for it, yeah. which means if you have PS Plus, because it was on PS Plus, you got it for free still. Yeah. And it sounds like they're going to use the trackpad on it for um, oh, cool. the touchpad yeah. for yeah, the that, controls, that which sense. that will emulate how it plays on the Vita, and it plays phenomenally on the Vita. Yeah. It did not play well on the PS3 because just console controls didn't work perfectly, but yeah. when you added in the touch controls, it worked well. That'll be the first game that will heavily use the, the touchpad, I feel like, for gameplay. Yeah, for anything outside of, like, menu menus kind of stuff, yeah. So I'm really interested to see how it controls, because I still have no sense, good or bad, of how well the touchpad yeah. would work in an actual game. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fascinating. But let's move on to Gamescom news. Yes. Because the first, like, big shock out of Gamescom, and this is one I want to talk about because it irks me and amuses me and it just baffles me in some senses. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Rise of the Tomb Raider... The abhorrently named sequel to the... This is my favorite thing about this news, is that it reminded me that they're calling this fucking Tomb Raider sequel Rise of the Tomb Raider. The, uh, they the, might as well just call it Rise of the Tomb Raider, Dawn, Dawn of Justice, you know? Yes, yeah, so Rise of the Tomb Raider, the, Dawn of the, the poorly named sequel to the absolutely phenomenal Tomb Raider game from yeah. two years ago. If you haven't played it, fucking play it. It's amazing. Um, yeah, it is going to be an Xbox-exclusive... Somewhat, it's the details are weird because yeah. when they when Microsoft announced this, they were like, "Nah, nah, nah, no one's gonna have it." Yeah, and then it was later exclusive to Microsoft. And then journalists asked them and said, "It is exclusive for a window. It may come to other consoles after yeah. that." So it is. It's, yeah, there was like this wave of confusion throughout the whole day that they announced that yesterday. I think it was like I just kept on going online and seeing like new headlines about it's like Tomb Raider is exclusive to the Xbox One, it's like. Tomb Raider is exclusive to the Xbox One. Maybe it'll be on PC. Uh, Tomb Raider is exclusive to the Xbox One for maybe a little while. 
And I was like, okay. It's weird. Yeah. Like, there's been a lot of that stuff that with, especially this generation where, since the PC market is so much bigger than it was before, you hear, like, you just get all this confusion about, like, it's console exclusive. Yeah, that's one like, of my big... Shit like that is like, what does it even mean? Like, what? I don't even know. What? Just tell me what platform is coming out on. Stop this vague exclusive nonsense. Just say... This game is releasing on the Xbox One, the Xbox 360, and probably the PS4 in, like, six months. That's yeah. like, I know that Microsoft doesn't want to say that, but fucking, like, Square Enix should say it, because they're publishing Tomb Raider. Like, they should make it clear what the yeah. situation is. It's weird. And all, basically, all we know is that on launch day, the one console it won't be on is PS4. Yeah. And, you know, I would not be surprised if it was on PC the same day. But yeah. and I'm actually I'm I'm getting a new computer that would be able to play games and and uh, cool. I'll just play it that way when it comes out. But it 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 irks me because I love the Tomb Raider games so much. It ran so phenomenally on PS4. It looked completely and totally like a next gen game, which was so cool. Even though it was developed originally for last gen hardware, it just looked so gorgeous. Those tress effects, you know. Yeah. All of that. That hair. Awesome next-gen hair. Um, but yeah, so I love that game. I was really excited for Rise of the Tomb Raider. Not the title, but yeah. that game itself. If I just, you know, I would probably like take a Sharpie on the box and just kind of... Yeah. Tomb Raider 2. two. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <Donald> Justice. <laughs> Battle of the Five Armies. Yes. <laughs> so anyway. but So it irks me that it's on Xbox One. And it's, you know, this is what I said on Twitter at the time. Guys, this doesn't make me want to buy an Xbox One. It just makes me more annoyed at your whole business. Yeah, yeah like, Tomb Raider's not a console seller. You know? No, like, it's... But that's the thing for me, is that very little would be a console seller. And especially, it's weirder, though, when it's in the middle of a franchise. This is my yeah, big question. like, this historic franchise that has, like, always been multi-platform. Yeah, and we they just rebooted, and now it's going exclusive? I can't even think of another example of that. Can you think of yeah, when that's happened? I mean... Bayonetta 2 is only on the Wii is going to only be on the Wii U but that's because nobody else was going to make that game okay. since like Nintendo decided to make it it's like, but that's the that's the only one that I can think of at least like recently that has done yeah. something like that and that's like a much different circumstance than this yeah and I mean the reason this is happening is because Microsoft desperately needs something to set them apart yeah. they threw a lot of money at resources at Square Enix in exchange for this yeah. and you know Crystal Dynamics put a letter out after explaining and they just said we thought Xbox could really help us make the game work what they're saying is they gave us money yeah because they could have made it work just as well on PlayStation, where I would like to point out again, when, X, when Tomb Raider Definitive Edition came out for those two consoles, it ran twice as well on PS4 by some yeah. metrics. It had twice the frame rate. I, I think the Xbox One version was not 1080p. I know the PS4 version was. So, you know, it's, it's weird. It's just Microsoft yeah. needed an exclusive. They threw a lot of money at it, and Square Enix accepted it. I don't blame Square Enix for that or anything. you got to pay the bills, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but, like it's... yeah. It's fine. Yeah, I'm not annoyed at the business practice of it. I'm I'm just annoyed at, like, it's fine if you want to make it exclusive, whatever, that's your fucking business. I know, like, for people who played the original one and now maybe won't be able to because they don't have an Xbox One, that's obviously annoying. Yeah. But it's like, at least fucking make it clear. Like, it's the fact that it's like, this is not something that's hard. This should You should not have to spend, like, a whole day with journalists, like... Just confused about the situation. It was like when the Xbox One was originally announced, and like you kept on hearing all these different uh, reports about. It's it like it is. It does have DRM, and it doesn't have DRM, and blah 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 blah. And it's like I have no idea what this thing is. That should not happen. This is not fucking like international politics. 
Like, it's just you're announcing a video game that is going to be exclusive to Microsoft consoles for a certain period of time. Just fucking say that. God yeah. damn it. And again, it goes back to the point I was making earlier, which is that it doesn't make me more excited for the game or for the Xbox One. It just makes me annoyed. And I think because of the way they announced it, did any enthusiasm for Xbox or Microsoft come out because of this? I don't think so. No, just annoyance. And like, I don't think there were Xbox fans dancing around because they were going to get to play it either way. Yeah. So it's just a lot of people are annoyed and a lot of people are confused. And no one's really excited. And I don't think it's going to re- result in a surge of Xbox One sales. Yeah. So the whole thing just doesn't fully make sense to me. You know, and on top the, of that, the game's fucking called Rise of the Tomb Raider. That yeah. just sucks. But I mean, imagine if Microsoft were able to come out at Gamescom and say, look at this awesome new original game that yeah. we've developed that you'll be able to play only on Xbox One. That would be only enthusiasm. That would be people, you know, maybe that's something that would get me interested in buying an Xbox One. Probably not really, but that's the kind of thing that would. Not a game in one of my favorite series is going exclusive to your console. That's just annoying. Yeah. That's not going to make anyone happy. That could make everyone happy because it's like you're doing stuff there that no one else is doing. Like Sunset Overdrive is the kind of thing yeah. they need. Where that's, you know, that's on Xbox only and it's cool and it's original and people think it looks pretty good and there's no controversy around that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and when they announced Sunset Overdrive, it wasn't like... There's like, okay, yeah, that's just exclusive to Xbox consoles. Like, yeah. it's like just... Although it's coming to PC too. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> Console exclusive. Console exclusive just means it's not coming to the our competitor. Yeah, yeah. And it's never coming to the Wii U. But it's like, where, where that one just gets the most confusing is when you have games that were, like, released on PC, like, three years ago that are now making their way to, like, Xbox One or PS4, and they're, like, console yeah. exclusive. Like, is that... That just doesn't even make sense at this point. Like, just put it out on everything. This game's been out for years. Yeah. So they played this game in, like, 2009. Very weird. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Alright, so let's talk about the next thing here Let's see um, The Halo channel was announced Something about that yeah. I don't even know what it is what, How's it different from Waypoint? I don't know Okay, because they said it's where we're going to air the TV series That's where they aired the uh, stuff on Waypoint, right? Yeah. So I don't yeah, know I don't know I guess they're not doing I guess Halo Waypoint Maybe that yeah, just Maybe doesn't... Halo Waypoint never went to Xbox One And they're redoing yeah. that I don't know Yeah, it's kind of interesting But yeah. let's see um, Then we've got uh, PS4 They announced it there Sony announced their press conference Has sold through to individuals yeah. Consumers 10, 10 million, million units PS4s, Yeah That's a lot in yeah, a that's, really, that's really impressive Like that's yeah. faster than like the Wii was able to, I mean the Wii had like a weird situation Where the Wii sold so much because it like just sold for a huge duration of time because they just sold out constantly, but they still like they didn't sell ten million Wii's in nine months. So yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's impressive. And it was really funny because I watched most of the live stream for the PS4 one because the Xbox one was like at five in the morning or something because it's in Germany. And I watched so I watched the PS4 one and the guy made it like super clear. It's like this is sold through to consumers. Like we actually sold. No, like seriously, we've sold ten million PS4s. It's not we haven't like manufactured ten million because you know those numbers are always weird. Yeah, we have an install base of yeah. ten million, and that I mean, that's that's great for everyone because that's going to push more next gen development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's nice. It's good to see that these consoles are getting adopted and people are moving yes. on from the old shit. Very good. Um, so let's see. We have that. The PlayStation TV, formerly the PlayStation Vita TV, will launch in North America on October fourteenth. A little earlier yeah. than I thought we might have seen it. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Um, I had mine pre-ordered. I think I'm going to get rid of that pre-order just because I don't think I'll have much of a use for it. Yeah. But we'll see. 
Um, let's see. And PlayStation 4 also announced their share play functionality. Yeah. They had previously talked about this. We had no idea when it was coming or how exactly mm-hmm. it would work. So tell us about this, Sean. It's basically, so it's going to, if you remember when it was, it was announced with the consoles, like a future thing that we're thinking about doing. But it uses the streaming technology that uh, they're using with like PlayStation Now and Remote Play and stuff to basically, it's not 100% clear like the specifics of how you access this and like what levels of access you have, but the way they basically talked about it was, say you're like, you're playing a game and it's got some sort of like, what effectively would be like more or less a couch co-op mode in the game, you're like playing Trying 2 or something, and your friend has a PS4 and he has PlayStation Plus, both of you have PlayStation Plus, but he doesn't own Trying 2 because he didn't get it when it was on PlayStation Plus because he's a fucking idiot. And you're like, you're an idiot. I want to play trying to co-op. And so, here, we can do this share play thing. And so we, I can stream, basically stream the game from my PS4 is what it sounds like they're saying. And more or less PlayStation Now style. And you can now play it on your console without actually owning the game. Not having to download the game. And you can basically just, like, drop in and we can play some trying to or whatever like again like they're not specific about like if every game's going to offer this what kind of modes you'll be able to do this with and stuff like that but that's basically the the more or less the pitch they gave and yeah. it sounds cool or like the other thing that they said is this is also something they said when they announced the console was if you're at today like at a really hard part in the game and you can and your friend is some like fucking badass at video games, you can be like, Hey, I can't do this, can you do this? And like digitally pass the controller the, to the him. The bitch mode, basically? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like what you would do if say you were playing some hard game and it was like, Here Sean, I can't do this I've because ne- I'm a fucking bitch. I've never asked someone to complete a part in a game for me. Sure yeah. I've never done that. Yeah. You just gave up and cried and like, I, know, I don't like you hard video game. I'm not playing anymore. I know. I know. What game would I have done that with? I, I don't know, because you only play bitch games. There are times in Last of Us where I have to go take a fucking break because yeah, it's or, just... Yeah, <laughs> or break the controller. I did, I did get to Yeah, the you part. can take a break in multiple yes. games of the world. I did, by the way, in Last of Us Remastered, past the point where I broke the controller. And this time, I did it in like ten seconds. Yeah, like that's one of the fun things about Last of Us Remastered is I'm playing it on hard again. Yeah. But, like... I'm so much better at the I'm game so better, in the yeah. early parts than I was when I first played it. So it's like I get to that room where there's like a dozen clickers in the subway or whatever. And the first time that took me like an hour to get past that room because I wanted to clear it perfectly and get all the shit. I just walked in there. I was like, I got two Molotov cocktails and I've got like a fucking like two by four with a nail in it. I don't need anything else. This room is fucking done. And I just killed everything in it with, like, one nice. Molotov cocktail yeah. and killed a clicker with my 2 by 4 It's like, done. I can just walk, casually stroll through this room and get, like, the safe code and all the shit in it and just walk to the end because I killed everything. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I do wish I would have played it on a higher difficulty because I'm... It's a little too easy at I points, think I think you can switch in the middle. Of, I know I can yeah. switch, and I actually, what I did is I started it on Survivor, and then I realized yeah, it did too much. Like, it yeah, takes I, off, like, listening mode and stuff. And it didn't. I, I thought I it was too... That. Yeah, I, I, it was too much, and so I turned it back, but now I kind of wish I was just doing it, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of funny that... It, it, I think Last of Us, part of it is it's such a roll of the dice. It's like, what do you have with you when you start an encounter? Yeah. And I think with the, the encounter where I broke the controller, I literally had nothing. I had no bullets. Mm-hmm. I had yeah. no two-by-four. I was just my fifth. And, and then just, like a brick on the ground. Yes, and a brick yeah. on the ground, and that's really tough. This time I had, um, I had one of those like giant crowbars, and I had oh, yeah. uh, a bunch of shotgun ammo. So it was just like, you're all fucking. There's nothing you can do to yeah, me. You're fucked. Like, yeah. this is over. Yeah. So anyway, but yes, what was the news? Share function. Yeah, Share that'll play. be neat. Yeah. Seems um, cool. 
I'm curious, I'm curious to hear like like more of the specifics about it. Yeah, it sounds like this is coming with their 2.0 update. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So this should be pretty substantial. There's a lot of features I hope get added. Like yeah. uh, Microsoft at their conference announced that Xbox One will be getting a media player with USB and DLNA support. Yeah, and I took like a brief glance at the like the codecs that are supported. And it's stuff like MKV files and like FLACs and stuff like that. It's like... You just, you just like, you just want people to fucking pirate TV shows and watch it on your console. It's like, that's the only thing that you ever see is like an NKV format. Right. Is if you pirate a TV show or a movie. But, you know, that was part of why the PS3 was useful. Yeah. And part of why the Xbox 360 was useful. Mm-hmm. And these consoles don't have that yet. They, for me, desperately need it. I very rarely use my PS4 for media stuff because the PS3 yeah. can do so much more. I just yeah, use yeah, my Yeah, I would definitely appreciate more yeah. of that kind of stuff. It'd be great. So... Anyway, that, that would be cool. And uh, finally, because I just think this is a funny sentence, there's a new Silent Hill game from Hideo Kojima and Guillermo, Guillermo del, Toro del Toro in development. Yeah. For which was released a weird interactive demo preview. Yeah, so basically, it was actually really fucking cool. Because yeah. at, the con- at the conference, they just basically showed a like brief 15-second teaser thing for some horror game that they were just calling PT. And they said... We, they, we are offering the first, the world first ever interactive teaser for this game. You can download it on PS4 consoles. And I was like, oh, that's fucking crazy. I don't like horror games because they just stress me out a lot because it's just like loud, blaring music in your ears and stuff. And it's just a lot of, I know as soon as I walk into this room, there's going to be a huge jump scare and it's just going to like make me really tense, but I have to do it anyways to progress in the game. So I just like, it's bullshit. But I was like, ah, eh, whatever. I'll check this thing out. That thing's fucking freaky as shit. The graphics are really, really good in a way that it's like, you just don't get big budget horror games anymore. So, like, you don't realize that when you do have a horror game that clearly has a huge budget behind it with this kind of technology, that shit's fucking freaky. Like, and it's, and it's yeah. a really sort of, really psychological thing because you basically, you wake up in this room and it's like this really dark room and there's a door in front of you and the door just kind of opens on your own on its own and you walk through and you end this hallway it's basically like a straight hallway with a 90 degree turn to the right and you go down and at that hallway there's like a front door looking door on your left like the door to the house and if you keep on going forward there's a staircase that goes down and a door that leads out and so you just walk through the hallway and then you go through that door leading out and you open that door and you're in the exact same hallway again only things have slightly changed and you kind of keep on doing that and just go through this loop over and over again and things slightly change and like this one door will like open and you'll or you'll hear like this baby crying and it's just like and eventually just like everything goes crazy and there's like a ghost and shit and it's fucking terrifying and it's really cool because eventually someone found a way that's like because eventually you hit a point the 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 shitty part about it is it gets, like, really sort of cryptic in how you actually progress. And so, at the end of the day, it's less of a game and more a piece of viral marketing at some point. But somebody figured out that there's some, like, crazy set of things that I don't even know if everyone really knows how you trigger this. It was just kind of triggers, and eventually you get to this point of the game where it's like, you just keep on going through this loop and you have no idea what to do. And then somebody, for them, this phone rang, and they pick up the phone, and someone says, like, you have been chosen. And then it plays a small trailer for you finding out that, oh, this game is, one, it's a game being made by Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro. I just love that combination. Yeah, and it's Silent Hills. It's Silent Hill, and then an S appears. I think like a Z. Silent Hills. No, Silent Hills. (laughs) And it's like, what the fuck? And that's really awesome. Like, it's, 
I've never seen anything like like nothing like that has ever been tried before. And I hope they do more shit like that because it almost kind of reminded me of when they announced Entwined at E3 and they were just like, you can just play it. Like it's just on the PlayStation Store right now. You can just go play it right now. I hope they do more of that stuff with these signings announcements. That it's like you, if you watch the live stream and you were like, oh shit, like I can just go do something with a video game right now that they're just offering. That's really cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm, it definitely makes me interested in that game, and yeah. that should be cool. So, if it's a... I can't imagine playing a whole fucking game that it's like, if they, if that game is as scary as, like, that's just that, like, like 20-minute weird teaser thingy, like, that's fucking... That's stressful. Gonna, that's gonna kill people, you know? Like, <laughs> this is like, that's not good for your health. Right. Although, and I think it's... Something I was wondering is if it's Hideo Kojima who makes games with, like, movie-length Yeah, like Metal Gear Solid, yeah. And if it's Guillermo del Toro who's a movie director, will this game have, like, just three-hour cutscenes? Probably not. Like, I don't okay. think that's joking, what they're going but... for. Yeah. But, like, yeah. seriously, like, the... I don't think so. so. Okay. No, I understand. And I think it has some dude to... from The Walking Dead in it. I don't yeah. know. Like, I don't watch Yeah, it's it's Dead. Norman Reedus. I don't know who he plays in The Walking Dead, because yeah. I don't give a shit about that show. But, yeah. But there's, like, it's a... And I think the character's modeled after him in the teaser, because it's like they show him in the teaser... And it's like the way it's framed is supposed to be like a big reveal. He's like, he turns his head towards the camera. And he's like, oh, I don't know who that is. If that's okay. not Kevin Spacey, if it's not a digital Kevin Spacey, I don't give a shit. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk. Let's go ahead and move on to our main topic for this show. All right. Does not involve a digital Kevin Spacey, but it does involve a digital talking raccoon yeah. and a digital semi talking tree. Yes. Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know why you said it like that. I'm trying to stall for time. Why? I don't know. We don't need to. We can just go. We can just Sean, talk about it. Guardians of the Galaxy. We were both very excited for it. Yes. Um, finally, have both seen it. Yes. I, I really don't even know what you think beyond you don't dislike yeah, it. Yeah, we haven't so, talked about it. Um, what did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy? I thought it was really good. I really liked it. I thought it was really funny. I think the... I guess I'll start with like my complaints first because like other than my complaints, I think everything's really good in it. As I think the plot gets really sort of like... It's just the most like predictable plot you could have possibly made for this movie. I mean, it's... It's a little bit disappointing. Marvel needs to get over the MacGuffin-based plots. Sure. It's, you know, there's a doodad, they chase the doodad, the doodad Well, at least things. to be fair, like, the doodad is an infinity gem, and that's, like, building up. Like, I, I'm not... I don't have a problem with the MacGuffin. Okay. But it's, like, the way, like, the, the push and pull of, like, the team, and, like, how they, like start off against each other and they kind of come together and they have like they have to have this moment of solidarity and then they get it okay. together at the end and like they win through the power of kind of friendship kind of yeah it's like that that stuff like that whole arc is super predictable it's like the most standard arc you could have possibly made and that, that's not a huge problem but it's a little disappointing when the rest of the movie is so sort of like off kilter and weird in a really cool way that's like the actual plot is so straightforward that that's a little bit Disappointing, and Ronan the accuser is just kind of there as an antagonist. That's again, like they're not complaints that are really like big problems with the movie, but it's like it would have been nice if this had been a, this part had been a little more colorful and they kind of had yeah. touched up the plotting or the the villain a bit. But other than that, like I thought the action is cool, the style of the film is just it's awesome. Amazing. Like it's visually really really incredible. The dialogue is fucking hilarious. The characters are really good. I mean, they just nail, like, everyone. And I don't know a whole lot about Guardians of the Galaxy. I've only read a couple of issues. With I don't even know if I've read an issue of a Guardians of the Galaxy comic. I've definitely, like, seen characters like Rocket and Groot and Star-Lord appear in other stuff. And I know about Ronan the Accuser. 
But like other than that, like I know nothing about this, so that's a, it's a really cool experience for me because I just get to watch the movie and be like, I don't have to have any like weird part of my brain that is like, ah, this isn't what Rocket the Raccoon is like. Like it's like it's just Rocket. Like he can just be himself. He can just be this movie character. I don't have to compare everything to like a comic book version. That's really refreshing. Yeah, yeah. So I thought the movie was very good. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting to me. I I really like this movie. I even would say, you know, I love this movie and can't yeah. wait to revisit yeah. it. Even, I want to watch it again. Like, it's that kind of yeah. movie that I would really like to watch again. Even though I could level a lot of complaints at it. I think sure. the, the villains are just, they're nothing. The the Even though I think they're well-performed and yeah. the, the makeup is great and all that, they're really, they're nothing. I don't think the... I know it's a, the Infinity Gem is going to be important, but that's something that does occasionally annoy me in the Marvel Universe when you have a lot of stuff built around something that could potentially be important in the future, but right now it's just a cosmic doodad. I yeah, think... I don't know. It's, there's it's things like that. Infinity Gem, yeah, it's man. fine. Whatever. 99% of people watch this movie don't know what yeah, that well, even is. Yeah, well, fuck the 99%, man. I'm the 1%, motherfucker. I'm the oppressed 1%, not the... You're the Mitt Romney of yeah, this podcast. Exactly, right? Like... <laughs> I don't give a shit about the 99% of the movie audience. I want them to make the movie for me. I don't give a fuck about you motherfuckers that don't know shit about nothing. Okay. Uh, and I do think that my biggest complaint, I'll talk about this later, is that I feel like the movie is maybe like missing an act in the middle where the Guardians... It, it feels like they go too fast from we're not friends yet to we love each other and we are all we have in the world. There's just there's there's something bit, missing. Yeah, I, there's a little part, particularly like... Rocket warms up to Peter Quill like really quickly in a way that's like it feels like there's a scene cut at yeah. least. Yeah. So there are problems with this movie, but what it does well, it does so well and honestly better than any other Marvel movie even. I think the characters, I can't believe how good the five yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy characters are built over the course of this movie. Yeah. All five of them come into their absolute own as characters who you could even, you know, build a movie around, but yeah. you don't want to because those five together... Yeah, they work so well as yeah. a team. I mean, yeah. Peter Quill is great. Chris Pat Pratt, immediately a movie star. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Gamora, Zoe Saldana, she's so good at that kind of thing. Yeah. And I love Gamora in this movie. Uh, Drax, he's actually the funniest character. Probably, yeah. Like, yeah. he has that fucking... I lost, lost my shit when he had that joke about... Because his whole thing about his character is that he doesn't understand subtext or metaphor. Yeah. And it's like, when it's just like, that goes right over your head. It's, Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. Yes. I would catch it. I love that. And it's that. something that it's like, the joke itself is just kind of okay written out, but the way he performs it, like, he fucking nails those jokes yeah, when I mean, they come up. He does a good job. Dave Bautista is just a wrestler, yeah, but he's, he's a, great in this. Well, I mean, wrestlers are just actors, so yes. makes okay. sense, but, yeah. but yeah, um, but anyway, and then Rocket and Groot are the heart of the movie. Yeah. And they're so great, and God, I... fucking Rocket is so... I can, they do such a good job with Rocket in this movie. I can count on one hand the number of better done CGI characters yeah. out there, at least in live action movies. You know, and it's just they're so well done. The voice work is so great on all of them, and there are some good side characters uh, out in the movie too. I really like their. Who's the guy who's like Peter Quill's boss? Who, oh God, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the guy, the Ravager, the captain of the Ravager. I don't remember. His yeah, name. he's and he's got that fucking awesome like arrow thing yes. that he whistles to control. Yeah, and and but even more than that, just the characters. I just loved being in the universe of this movie. I think yeah. visually. No other Marvel movie can even hold a candle to this. And I, agree, I think yeah. Marvel has done a good job with design and cinematography mm -hmm. and things. But this movie, just the production design, yeah. the cinematography, it's all so phenomenal. It's gorgeous. It's just, that's great. The general atmosphere and tone they made is very good. Yeah. Um, the music is, there's their music, their soundtrack of 80s music. I love it so much. It has like one of the best 
title cards I have ever yes. seen. Like, just when that comes up, when the title of the movie pops up, that's, like, legitimately out of every movie I've ever seen. That is, like, in the top ten. Like, that is such an incredible moment where he's in that cave, and the song's playing, and he's, and he's dancing. dancing, and then it's, like, it's this huge wide shot. He's, like, tiny at the bottom of the screen, and the Guardians of the Galaxy pops up. This massive fucking logo. It is fucking awesome. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I am in for this movie. Like, Absolutely. That, the style and the creativity and just, like, the huge confidence in the voice of that movie, just in that one moment, is just like, okay... I am I am fully fucking on board. Like, you know, all the people that are concerned about Ant-Man and stuff like that, it's like, if Marvel can keep on giving people the level of, like, creative control, like, they obviously must have given James Gunn on this movie, to just be able to have a scene like that. Like, that is not a studio movie, does not have that fucking title card, you know? No. That whole title sequence is yeah. just... Because it's a, basically, it's the comic version of... Uh, and I mean comic is in terms of comedic yeah. version of the Raiders of the Lost Ark opening. Sure, where he's yeah. going to get the doodad, and it's yeah. you know, and it's but he does it while dancing to eighties music on his Walkman, yeah. and he's using like an alien as a microphone, yeah. and I mean, and you know, that's the thing about Chris Pratt's work in this movie too is he walks on screen and he is a movie star the moment yeah. that starts. He's so because I've never really watched anything. He's like he's in Hurt Locker, right? Like he's one of the yeah. not Hurt Locker. Uh, no, he's in oh yeah yeah it's uh, not, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. yeah. He's one, of the, he's one of the guys yeah. on the bin line. That's the right? only other thing I've ever seen him in. I know he's, like, in Parks and Rec. Is that the show he's on? Yes, he's, yeah. like, the best... One of the best characters on Parks and Rec. Yeah, I've he's never so really good. watched that show, so I only kind of know him from Zero Dark Thirty, and the only reason I know him from that is because I know that people know him from Parks and Rec. It's like, he's so fucking good immediately in this movie. He and I should say... that character. And, you know, if you're, if you're someone like me who has been enjoying his work for, like, a decade now, and you love this actor, this doesn't surprise you, but it's so awesome. It's like that thing you're talking about, voice... You don't expect a big studio to just take Chris Pratt and put him in this and let him be Chris Pratt and be a movie star, but he immediately, he works so well in it, and it's more, for me, it's like, I know he could do this, and he's rising to the occasion and then some, and you know, that's the thing, that's how great movie stars are really born. They're never the people you think are conventionally going to be a great movie star. It's someone who just has a voice, and this, he's, as an actor, just has that, and he owns the movie because of it. I shouldn't say owns, because he's great at sharing the space Yeah, yeah, like, it's a really great example of, like, if, you know, it's an example of how, like, you can see if DC is, and Warner Brothers are really on top of their shit, that they could make Justice League work without setting up the characters in other yeah. movies. Like, it's possible. It's just really hard. And this is, like, an example of, like, you have to... This is an example of how to nail it. Like, they yeah. did such a phenomenal job. But anyway, going back to, like, that first scene and everything, yeah. and what I was saying is that I just love being in the movie. And one of the things I wanted to mention was this is the first movie I've paid to see in 3D since Desolation of Smaug mm. last year. And I didn't even mean to. It's just when I got to the theater, this was the showtime they had. It was in 3D. It was the only time I could see it. So I went to see it that way. And it was on... The uh, Cinemark Theater's version of like IMAX Yeah And it was so fun to see it that way Because it was this giant screen The 3D in the movie is phenomenal It's so well done It's It really I don't know if the, I don't think the movie would lose anything without yeah. it But like with it on there Just being able to just Be in the production design and everything It's so fun And it was just I just I can still imagine that title card coming up Like you said yeah. Like this big Because I think the movie is about size and scale yeah. And that's part of what's fun about the production design Is it's not just these little microcosmic things Where you go on one set and it's good or something It's the whole universe feels fleshed out Yeah And it's great to see it on the big screen And just be in the world of the movie Because it crafts this whole other universe That is separate yeah, from what Yeah, it's really impressive how so they far. like Yeah, they like really effortlessly just like introduce stuff like the Nova Corps and the Kree and Ronan 
And it's just like, it's just there in the movie. They don't have to set up, like, all this backstory. They just make it really simple. Because that's the side of Marvel Comics that I always sometimes kind of, like, delve into is the crazy cosmic shit with Ronan and the Kree and the Skrull and shit like that. And But it always kind of, like, it's too confusing. It's too much for me. And that's why I've never really read Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just like, I just can't get into it. Because it's like, there's so much dense comic book material around how the, the Guardians are, the new Guardians are formed. That's like, I never just could get to it. So it's really refreshing that it's like, oh, we can just have the cool part of the space cosmic shit and not all this crazy backstory that I just cannot get through because it's just too weird and abstract and bad. Yeah. It's, just, like, it's just really approachable and fun. But yeah, I mean, it really does set up this whole parallel universe to the Marvel Universe we already have, which yeah. is all Earth-based. But now there's all this other stuff, and I feel like... Not just for Guardian sequels, but for the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. Yeah, different Think places how, they can go. Yeah. yeah, just because of this one movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was something about this movie, because it's one of the cool things about it, is that it's it's very identifiably a Marvel film, because it, it still has that sort of like pulpy comic book feel to it that most of the Marvel movies have. But it's so off, like, it, you know, it doesn't have cameos from any of the... Like, the most cameos it has is it has, like, Thanos and the Collector in it, but they're like, that barely even counts. And so, like, it's it's cool to have it be it's completely its own thing. But then at the same time, in the back of my head, at a certain point when I'm watching a movie and it's like I fall in love with these characters, I'm like, I really want to see, like, what would happen if these guys met fucking Iron Man. I can't know? wait. Like, Iron that, Man I just and wanna, Rocket? Yeah, like, I just want to see those interactions in, like, Star-Lord and Captain America. Like, I just want to see how those characters play off of each other because Marvel has done... So, or, like, them with Thor or, like, and all of them, like... They've done such a good job of creating all these characters into their own unique, incredibly fun personalities that you just, like, I just can't wait to see what happens when they all interact with each other. Yeah. They, like, are able to nail that stuff. Like, that's... And that's, like, exactly what you want from the comic books, too. It's like, you have all these awesome characters all in their own thing that usually don't interact, and every once in a while you get a crossover, you're like, I just want to see, like, what the fuck happens when Spider-Man... I don't know, teams up with, like, Daredevil. It's like, just what happens with, like, these two different characters from, like, two different sides of the same could, fight? Could Drax even exist in the same room as Tony Stark, or would the sarcasm <laughs> just drive him out? Yeah, that would be a great scene, is Tony's trying to talk to Drax, and Drax doesn't understand literally anything that Tony says. Yeah, He's I can't. confused and just afraid. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things I think Guardians of the Galaxy masters that some Marvel movies back in Phase 1 didn't as much, which is that this is completely and totally its own movie. You can enjoy it on its own terms, love it, rewatch it, and yet think of all the possibilities it opens up. Yeah, like because it does a lot of really small stuff. Like I said, the only stuff it really does for the larger, larger Marvel Universe is by basically using Thanos yeah. and having the, the MacGuffin be... I mean, and at one point in the movie, like, Peter Quill literally calls it, like, the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. So it's like, they, the movie understands that it's a fucking MacGuffin. No, I understand, yeah. Yeah, but, like, but the, having the Infinity Gem in Thanos is, like, the only thing it really does to build up stuff. And so for someone like me, who's a comic book fan, that as far as the cosmic shit goes, Thanos is, like, a big sort of, like, staple and, and part of the, that stuff that I actually know about. So I'm really excited to that, see that as like, oh, like, it was just really cool to be like, fucking Thanos is here. Like, and he's trying to get the Infinity Gems. I actually, That's going to be some serious fucking shit. I want to talk, before we move on, mm-hmm. about the Thanos scene. Sure. Because this is going to be my biggest complaint with the okay. movie. I thought the Thanos scene was awful. I didn't. I thought it could have been better. Like, I, I think I, I would have to re-watch the movie because I was just so excited that it's like, it's fucking Thanos. That it's like, I didn't even like, care about anything else. 
I just I recognize that I don't think it probably was a very good thing, scene. Here's the thing: it's the scene as a whole just kind of feels like it's built just so Thanos can have a scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. But also, my biggest complaint was that I didn't like Thanos as a character in that scene. I thought Josh Brolin just sounded bored. Like it didn't. Mm-hmm. The, I don't think the voice matched the character at all. And then I thought the character himself. There's so much great CGI in Guardians of the Galaxy. He yeah. just looked like a generic CGI character to me. He looked goofy. He didn't look like he belonged with the space. I felt like if he were to walk on screen with Peter Quill and Drax and everyone, and even those other CGI characters, he wouldn't belong there. It just he didn't. Maybe they can improve the design or something yeah. later down the road. But like it's like I don't have any interest at all in Thanos as a villain based on his material in this movie. Yeah, like I said, like I, I can't comic because it's like I just have too much history with the character that it's like I can't and he's only it's like a five minute scene yeah but it's just it's like do you think there's any way they could have done Thanos with makeup because there's maybe so, there's so much good makeup work in this movie maybe and I just don't know I don't know Thanos is, is he too big is it I think so like Thanos's build is really he's a Jack Kirby looking he's not Jack Kirby character because he's but he's designed like Darkseid who's a Jack Kirby character and Jack Kirby's like people are always like weird and wide and stocky in a way that human beings do not look I'm just you know projecting out to the future if that Thanos design and voice walked on screen with all the other Avengers he would just it would be distracting to me he's too he looks too CGI he doesn't feel like he's part of anything and I don't know maybe when they actually have to put him in scenes with other characters they would alter that enough and make it work but like yeah and the Josh Brolin voice distracted me too that did not sound right yeah I think they needed to put at least like a filter or something on it to like make it yeah and I always thought Josh Brolin was weird casting because yeah. I don't think he sounds godlike, and he just you, he can't hide his you know Texas accent, and it's just mm-hmm. yeah yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, we have to see with the character because it's like because his scene is so kind of really nothing because it's yeah. like he's sitting on a flying chair and he says like a dozen lines maybe. Yeah, it's just it's one of the few cases in the Marvel universe where they've introduced a big character and I've immediately gone. No. Like, it just didn't work. Like, you know, you get to the end of Iron Man and Nick Fury walks on screen you're like, fuck yeah, yeah, that's perfect. And and there's a lot of moments like that, I feel like. But this was just one of the few Marvel character reveals where I just felt like, meh, at best. Sure. But everything else is great. And I, I want to talk about the tone. I think that's a okay. big thing to talk yeah. about here. Because honestly, this, this movie did not have the tone I expected. Uh, I think the movie they were selling in the trailers It was not misleading But it's not yeah. the movie as a whole That's only a fraction of it Because Guardians of the Galaxy is funny And it's got humor But I don't think it's nearly as goofy As like Thor the Dark World It didn't make yeah. me laugh as yeah. much It doesn't It takes it's own climax A lot more seriously in a lot of ways Yeah um, I mean yeah The thing is definitely not It's not like a comedy Like no. It has a lot of Because it's it, The thing is that like The characters themselves Are really funny But I think what I really like About the movie is that The characters are really funny but this is kind of like the point that Star-Lord has that great fucking speech where he says, like, well, you know what I see here? Yeah. When I look around this room, I see losers. But I mean that I mean that in, like, like we are people who have lost something. Right. And that's, like, that's definitely really true is that they're all characters that most of them are pretty funny, either whether they know it or not. Like, Drax is funny. Like, Gamora is the only one that's, like, a very straight, serious character. And, like, but they all have, like, a part of them that's, like... You know, especially like Rocket is just like fucked up. That's a, like he has that one scene where he's drunk and kind of breaks down. Like that's fucking sad. Like this is, this is fucking Rocket. Like he's awesome. And it's like you don't want those characters to be sad, but that's kind of the this is, like that's the thing is that it's like they use the humor to sort of like hide 
how hurt they are and how much they have lost, you know? Yeah. And so this definitely is a movie that has, like, a real heart and serious core to it. Well, and that's what I want to talk about is that I think it's got so much heart to it. It does such a great job with characters because it lets them be funny, but it also gives them human connections and touch yeah. points. Even and, if they're a crazy, yeah. like, raccoon monster thingy. And, I mean, we haven't even talked about Groot enough. You know, Groot becomes, yeah. like, the breakout character by the end who everyone loves. Yeah. And is the big emotional point of the movie for me. The highlight is we are Groot. Yeah. <laughs> it's So they do such a great job with that. And I think the tone, on honestly, is a lot closer to the Marvel Universe as a whole than I yeah. have predicted. Yeah. But I think that's a good thing. And I think James Gunn and, and his co-writer and everyone who worked on this just did such a good job making this movie that is big, it's cosmic, it's ridiculous in some ways, it's serious in some ways, it's heartbreaking in some ways, it's heartwarming yeah. in some ways, and yet all those tones converge and feel like they are just part of one thing. And this, honestly, is what I've always loved about Marvel, is that as silly as some of that stuff can be, and outlandish, and comic booky, yeah. that's life. Life is yeah. not one tone. Life is a lot of different things. So... You know, while this is a movie that is much more tonally diverse than like a Christopher Nolan Batman or The yeah. Man of Steel or something, it feels a lot closer to real life, even though the, those movies are supposed to be gritty and realistic. Yeah. This feels much more emotionally real because it has so many more shades to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, it, and it captures, and that's like, and that's the thing when like I talk about the movie that has like, that's comic booky and has a comic book tone. Is that the thing? It's like comic books tend to not be comedic. Like right. when they talk about superhero comics, like they're not trying to be comedies. Like they are funny a lot of the times, especially if you have a character like Spider-Man or someone who's cracking jokes. Like they have a lot of funny shit in them, but it's like but especially the Marvel style has always historically been that it's like the core of it is very serious and is trying to be something that talks about real issues and like real characters that have real problems and like real emotions and are not just Superman or like Hal Jordan or you know Barry Allen's Flash or this like these paragons of virtue that have no real problems that's like the biggest problem they have is that like I don't know they can't save everyone or something it's like but it's, you know these are real characters that have real heart to them that's like that are funny and tragic and, and happy and sad all at the same time you know and it's baked into every layer of the Guardians movie because, yeah. I mean, again, just look at the music. You start the movie with Peter Quill losing his mother as a child yeah. and having the, the mixtape and everything. Yeah. It's basically the Marvel equivalent of the opening scene to Up. Yeah. Yeah. But then that music, because it's so heavily used throughout the movie and none of those songs are wasted, you never hear 10 yeah. seconds. It's, it's always like a big moment when the yeah. song comes out. Yeah. So that emotional connection to his mother and to Earth and to his childhood is kept from moment one to the very end. And so when you get to that scene where he opens the letter from his mother and you yeah, figure it's... out where Star-Lord comes from, yeah, I, I teared up at that. Yeah, I don't know what to say. say. It's awesome. Mixed volume two yeah. out and it says fucking Jackson 5 on it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I thought they were going to play Spirit in the Sky there. but uh, And Jackson 5 was perfect. No yeah. no complaints. But it was all about death and everything. And then I thought yeah. it was going to be that. But it's fine. Uh, yeah. And I've had a lot of fun listening to the soundtrack since the movie. And it's, it's just so much great stuff. And yeah. So again, it's, it's baked into every level. The character dynamics are always reminding us of this. And, you know, again... The talking CGI raccoon yeah. is in some ways the most emotional character of the movie. Yeah, like, God. Let's like, talk about Rocket. Because... Yeah. Fucking hell. Holy shit, yeah. They do such an unbelievably good job with him. It's like he... I mean, I think Rocket has all of my favorite moments in the movie, probably. Like, he has... I think probably my favorite action moment is when they're in the prison. Yes. And Rocket climbs on Groot, and then Drax throws him the gun, and he gets it, and he just goes fucking crazy. Yep. Like, this is just so awesome. And, like, Rocket... 
He, like, lays out that incredible plan to escape the prison by, like, turning off the gravity and shit and tells Peter to get the dude's leg. Like, all that shit is so fucking great. That's the awesome thing about Rocket is that he's legitimately probably the most capable character out of all of the Guardians. Like, he knows how to fight. He knows how to pilot. He knows how to make a plan and how to execute on the plan. Like, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I mean just on every level he's written so well yeah. the animation is phenomenal yeah. um, and I, he looks like a real raccoon that's part of what I think is yeah, funny about him is yeah, that he looks like a real raccoon and yet he's like still you know anthropomorphized because he's like walks on two legs yeah. and stuff and it was like and I think where I was most impressed with the animation was a small thing about when they get into the jail and Peter sees him like putting on his shirt and like sees like the weird like metal shit on his back and stuff yeah. like, there's just the moment where it's like it just looks like a human raccoon putting on a shirt. Like, because it's such a relatable action that, like, you've seen thousands of times of you putting on a shirt or someone putting on a shirt. And it's like you see this raccoon doing it with, like, this raccoon human physiology. It just, like, immediately clicks. And it's like... What happened to him, yeah. Yeah, and, and, like, what happened to him and that he's just real. Like, he's this real creature on screen. Because yes. he has to fucking put on clothes, man. He has to put on human clothes. He's like a raccoon thing. Yeah. Uh, so the CGI is so great And then I think Bradley Cooper's voice performance yeah. uh, It's funny because I really do like Bradley Cooper as an actor a lot I think yeah. he's very talented But when I heard he was voicing Rocket Raccoon I was I wasn't I just was like I wonder how that's going to work Because yeah, he does, yeah. he's not the guy I would think of for that Yeah and, and then James Gunn said in several interviews Look we didn't cast him because he's a star We cast him because he was the right voice And again I was like well we'll see yeah. And then you see the movie and it's like absolutely yeah. And he's never given a performance like this at all Yeah yeah Like it doesn't like I would never if you if I didn't know that it was Bradley Cooper I would never stop. no no like I would never be able to like oh yeah obviously Bradley Cooper is playing Rocket Raccoon this is like no, that's just fucking that's Rocket yeah so yeah. it's a phenomenal character voice from this actor who is very recognizable but he gives it so much heart he plays every beat so well he can modulate flawlessly from the silly Rocket trying to make yeah. Peter Quill take different parts of people's bodies yeah uh, into the serious Rocket you know blowing motherfuckers up yeah. to sad Rocket being drunk he yeah. just plays all of it so well you know it's, I don't know if it's the best performance in the movie because there's so many good ones but yeah. it's one of my favorites definitely mm-hmm. and then Groot I mean yeah both Groot and Rocket as CGI characters. I mean, we're so used to, in this day and age, if you see a CGI character on screen, they're just mocap. Yeah. And that's not what this was. Mm-hmm. Um, as I understand it, Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, did stand in for Rocket on set. But it's not yeah. a mocap thing. And with Groot, it's not a mocap thing. This yeah. is animators doing great work. Yeah, because it's, like you, it's a human raccoon and a giant tree guy. Yeah. Like, you can't mocap that. Yeah, exactly. Like There's things that don't exist. It's not... Yeah. And I think people forget... You don't need mocap for animation. Animators have been animating characters and breathing life into them since the ni- you know 1910s. Yeah, it's just a thing, and and I think it's it's a great testament to the power of animation with these two characters. Mm-hmm. And you know, Groot is not a character who should be able to believably inhabit space with these other figures. Yeah, and yet he does completely without sacrificing all his wonderful mystical qualities. Yeah. And he ha- he has such a character to him. Yeah, and Vin Diesel yeah. is so good, even though all he can say is "I am Groot." I am- and eventually, we are Groot. Groot, which is so great. Yeah, yeah. And just, God, and like, and them as a pair, like that's where it really shines is Groot and Rocket together. Because like, I think they those two are the strongest characters in the movie to me. Even though I love all the other ones, and I yeah. particularly Star Lord is really well done. But it's like they just 
have there's so much energy and creativity and imagination in those two characters and their interactions and there's so much heart in their friendship together and it says so much because there's such a weird combination of things you don't look at a raccoon and a tree dude and think it's like that's a match made in heaven they'd be best friends forever but it's like when you f- learn about their characters like you never find out that's one of the things I like about it is that they don't like go into the backstory of like how Rocket and Groot met or anything but it's like you really get a sense of like how that relationship must have started because Groot is because Rocket is this really really hurt damaged creature person and Groot is this incredibly caring kind tree dude and so it's, it's natural that it's like they kind of need each other, you know? They're hot and chewy. I yeah, mean, exactly. But more than that, they're mm-hmm. that's like the archetype they fulfill, but they are their own thing. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, yeah. I And, and one of the best uh, moments for me in the whole movie is when Groot just goes apeshit on those guys at the end. And oh, God, them all around. he like pierces them, like, yeah. Yeah, throws them around the hallway. Yeah. And then he just turns, turns and, and smiles. smiles. <laughs> yeah. So great. There's, there's so many good moments like that. And then with the other Guardians, you know, Drax and Gamora... They're not CGI, but they're full-body makeup. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of full-body makeup characters in this, and it's great. It's the kind of makeup I love where they're not trying to hide that it's makeup. You can tell it's a dude in makeup or a chick in makeup, but that's better. That's better than trying to just make it too seamless. It's like how I like the orcs in Lord of the Rings more than in Hobbit, where they're all CGI. Yeah, It's so much better when it's just makeup, because makeup, when it's done this well, looks cool. Yeah, yeah, it just... You, you just buy it immediately because it's just real. Like it doesn't. How cool looking is Drax? You know, yeah. Dave Bautista probably had to sit in that fucking makeup chair nineteen hours a day. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, just to get all that shit on. Yeah. But it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And you know, Zoe Saldana. I, I actually I think of her as someone who does performances like this a lot. Really, it's just Avatar, and that's just yeah. mocap. But it's a similar skill set, mm-hmm. and she's very good with that because she's an actress who's great with physicality. Yeah, and uh, Gamora definitely needs that. Really, I mean, you know, Peter Quill is the only guy who gets to not be in layers of makeup yeah. or CGI. Yeah, that must have been a weird experience for Chris Pratt, like on yeah. the set with like all the Guardians together. It's just like he just gets to sit there in like a cool jacket, yeah, and, like like normal clothes. Did he just like hang out in the makeup tent with people, being like yeah. just sitting there playing a game or something? Yeah, there's just like some dude on stilts as a like a stand-in for Groot, like yeah. this dude down there with like stand-in for Rocket, and then like these two people in like full body intense makeup. He's just sitting there like, fuck it, man. Yeah, like, I don't have to. I get to show up like two minutes before he starts shooting. <laughs> Yeah, so it's cool. So, I mean, yeah, those five characters are so great. The way they interact is so great. Here's where I said I feel like the movie is almost missing an act or something, is that mm-hmm. I think the movie is really well edited. It's f- fantastically paced and everything. There just feels to me like there's a jump when they all get back on the ship together. They're on the uh, Ravager ship. Yeah. And that's when Peter Quill gives that big speech about how we're all losers. Yeah. It's a great speech, and very little of it felt fully earned to me because they've really barely been together yet. They had They broke out of prison... Sure. And then they went to meet the Collector, and now they're here. They haven't really done anything yet. And it just, it didn't feel like they had come together that much to me. It's like they needed to do one more thing or something needed to happen to them to make them more... I don't know. Like, there was also, for me, it was like, I didn't buy that Peter Quill became that heroic that fast. Because it's like he saves Gamora out in space, and then he's a saint. And it's mm-hmm. not not literally, but it's just, it's like that jump from rogue, you know, thief guy who's very selfish to... I, we're gonna just risk our necks and save the whole galaxy. It just felt a little too quick to me. Like I agree. I think, particularly, I think there was a couple of things. Like I said, the biggest one was like Rocket and Star Lord Peter Quill. Like they just have like this rapport as soon as they get into prison. When those characters have never, they've not talked. Like the only thing they've done is fight. That is the one that is the weirdest to me. 
That's like that relationship just happens. I don't have as much of a problem when it gets by the time it gets to that speech and with like Star Lord. I think the thing with Star Lord is just like I don't know the scale of what is about to happen is so huge that it makes sense to me that it's like they have to get together because if like they said I mean they say it kind of multiple times is like it's like Star Lord in particular has this great line this is like. Like, they're going to destroy the galaxy. And it's like, why do you care? Because I'm one of the things living in it. And it's like, it's kind of that thing where it's like the scale of, the, of what is about to happen is so huge. That it's like, they have no choice, but they have to go and try to stop Ronan. Because it's like, he literally could destroy the fucking universe with that Infinity Gem. And I agree. It's just, it's that thing of, you can understand the logic behind it. But I feel like the heart behind that moment wasn't 100% earned. Because the movie... You know, I mean, the climax to the movie starts, like, halfway through. It's a very long third act. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I just felt like the second act maybe could have been... A couple more things could have happened. Yeah, I, I think know. they just... I think they needed a couple of scenes where they sort of, like, patched up a couple of the relationships to make it feel a little more... Yeah. Yeah, full. I definitely agree with that, but I don't, th- I don't think I have a big of a problem with it as you. And I don't know if it's... Maybe I'm yeah. misrepresenting how big a problem it is. I really like that scene. I like the whole movie. It just did not tarnish my image of the movie or anything. It's just something I thought could have been improved. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the rare movie where I walked out of it saying that should have been 15 minutes longer somewhere to just let everything breathe sure. a little more. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, I can also commend them for not making the, the three-hour version of Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy or something. Um, so, yeah. It, it's still very good, obviously. And, you know, I don't think Ronan is a bad villain. Yeah, he's just kind of there. I mean, it's a, a lot of the Marvel villains are kind of like that. I mean, I keep getting him mixed up in my head with Malakath from Thor The Dark World because they're basically... very similar, yeah. They're basically the same character. Yeah, except for Ronan the Accuser is a way better name. Yes. And the thing is, I think Lee Pace is really good in that role. He does a great job in the makeup. Yeah. He's a cool design. I think the Karen Gillan character, that is one of the most striking designs for a villain on screen I've ever yeah. seen. It's phenomenal. She's just... She, her character goes is like schizophrenic. She's a different character every time you yeah. see her. And then she like just kind of gets away. So I'm guessing that character must come back. Like it seems really weird that it's like that character just like just get away. She's the Darth Vader of the movie, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so you know that's all fine. And and honestly, I think while Ronan is bland, his blandness absolutely pays off in the climax when Chris when <laughs> Star Lord yeah. starts singing "Ooh Child." Yeah, and. Uh, is it's going to have a dance off. Yeah, yeah. That that's I almost think it's worth Ronan being a bland villain for yeah. that moment. Yeah, because Ronan is so straight edged and just yeah. like, yeah. And then I liked the power of friendship ending. I like. Yeah, I don't have a huge <laughs> problem with it. Like my only problem with that is like it's the whole structure of the movie is kind of yeah. like like I said, it's very cliche. I gotcha. Which is not a, like I said, it's not a huge complaint. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's archetypal, and they play the archetypes well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, there, we've got that. We've got him saying, "You said it yourself, bitch." We're the Guardians of the, the Galaxy. Galaxy. Pretty yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Pretty just that whole climax is so satisfying on every level. And then I liked that they let the ending breathe. That's something yeah, that doesn't yeah. often happen in Marvel movies. But they let. There's a good 15 minutes after the climax where it's just it's Peter Quill opening the letter and it's them talking to mm-hmm. Nova Prime and it's everyone just having their final moments together before they go off into space. It really feels like you get to feel. What the impact of this journey was on everyone yeah. at the end, yeah, and I like that, and it gives us more time for Jackson Five, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and and yeah, and, and sets those characters off into the galaxy, so you can be really excited for a sequel, yeah, 
And it's yeah, it's a movie where I want a sequel not because they left things unresolved, but because I want to spend more yeah, time I want with to the see, characters. Yeah, I want to see what these characters are now going to do with like their new adventure. So yeah, yeah. And, and it's one of those things that I really like about the Marvel movies that they do a lot now, where it's like this is like the Guardians will be returning, and you're like, fuck yeah! Although I thought it was interesting, they were so confident they put it at the beginning of the credits. Yeah. Usually they stick it at the very end, mm-hmm. so that was fun. They definitely. I mean, that's one of the things we have to talk about. Is yeah. This movie has become an outright cultural sensation. Yeah. People love it. It's not just that it's made a lot of money. It's that these characters who nobody nobody knew anything about a year yeah, ago, yeah. everybody loves. Groot was this you know giant trending thing on Twitter, and everyone loves Rocket. Hashtag and, yeah. I am Groot. Yeah. It, it's just people love these characters. People want more of them. It's likely going to outgross Captain America: The Winter Soldier. It could be the mm-hmm. biggest movie of the summer domestically. Yeah. Nobody predicted this. Yeah, I mean, no. I, you and I were optimistic about the movie, but I think we were both worried it could fly. Yeah, like this was definitely one that I was like, I it will probably do pretty well, but there was like a chance that nobody would go see it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and is it just that it's just that good that it's just and the characters are just that well drawn that you can't deny yeah. it? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's they sold it right too. Yeah, they sold it really well because it's got like a really unique tone it's not like even though the plot itself is cliche like all the characters and the tone and stuff are so well done that it feels really different from like every other movie that's coming yeah. out yeah and then i think it's just like the characters are so infectious and the, the movie's so fun that it must be getting just tremendous word of mouth i must i imagine yeah no, there, probably, there must be people quoting this movie constantly this is like i've like i've been thinking about quotes about this movie a lot since i've seen it yeah yeah but I mean, right up until the week before this movie came out, I remember, I forget what movie I was at, but I went to see a film and it had a Guardians preview before it, and the people sitting next to me were like, that looks like the stupidest fucking piece of shit. And of course, that's all you heard before yeah. it came out, and I imagine those people went to see the movie and loved it. Yeah, now they have like Rocket Raccoon t-shirts and shit. Yeah, and they're gonna be like, I was always up for Guardians. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, and part of it is that Marvel, I've seen this comparison made in recent weeks, and I think it's very apt. Marvel right now is what Pixar was five years ago. Yeah. They have, I mean, you know, maybe they're not uh, uh, aspiring for the same level of quality, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they are making consistently really good movies. They are making movies that no one else are making. They are their own tone and voice, and they're a brand everybody trusts now. So this is kind of like. Yeah, it's like it's a brand of movie that you go and know you can see and, like, have an assured level of quality as opposed to, like, Oh, it's directed by this guy, so I know it's going to be good. It's like this, yeah. this overall house of films. They're like, it doesn't matter who they're getting to make the movies. I can trust that it's probably the right guy. Yeah, and the comparison I saw is that this movie basically came at the same point in Marvel's life as Wally did for Pixar. And you know, if it hadn't been Pixar, Wally probably would have flopped. It's a it's a movie that's silent for its first thirty minutes. It's about a robot. It's, yeah, it's a movie that's only really good for its first thirty minutes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but like, I I like all of Wally. But yeah. anyway, um. But, you know, because Pixar is such a big brand, Wally was a hit up. It's a movie about an old dude, you know? Yeah. That, that's, those don't usually do well. And houses, kids. if you put a lot of balloons on a house, it's not going to fly. That's just bullshit. Anyway, but yeah, so it's it's a very similar thing to Pixar, and hopefully they don't start making weird prequels to, and like, hopefully hopefully Marvel never makes its equivalent of Cars 2. Yeah, yeah. Or Planes 2. Planes 2 came out this summer. I, th- I thought you were just making a joke. I didn't no. realize that that was a real There was a Planes 2. a Planes 2, huh? Yeah, came out this summer. Huh. <laughs> there was one good joke in the trailer. Do you remember what the joke was? Yeah, it's... I, I mean, it's not really a good joke, but it made me chuckle the time, one time I saw it. It was like, there's some... 
there's a truck and it's talking to another car and it does a weird cheesy like pickup line and someone says oh that must be a pickup truck oh and I saw that yeah that's that's a good joke I that's like that joke. joke that's funny yeah. yeah that's that is like probably the best joke you can get out of the premise of cars <laughs> yes. possible like, like I, legitimately that is probably the best joke you can possibly bind out of that premise it's a pretty good joke though yes but we are also getting I Planes 3 and Cars 3 so soon that franchise will have 6 movies <laughs> What the fuck happened to Pixar? Yeah, I, Cars, man. <laughs> Cars. And hey, we're getting Finding Dory. Don't write. Because yeah. we need that, apparently. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Alright, Marvel, though, for now, they are doing good work. Yeah. And um, let's talk about the end credits scenes. First one was Groot dancing to Jackson 5. Yeah. With Drax kind of looking over. Yeah, that, there's a funny little moment, yeah. Yeah, and that wasn't really a credit scene. It's just they said yeah. Guardians will return, and then they came back with that. Yeah, so. it's just like, yeah. And then Howard the Duck. Yeah. So what? Howard the Duck is now a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> like, I guess it kind of makes sense that at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, that's what the post credit scene was. Yeah. It's like, I hadn't heard anything about the post credit scene. Like, no. I hadn't even heard, like, not what, it, what the content was, but even, like, anybody's feelings about what it might have been. They did not show it to critics, as yeah. I understand it. So, like, when I saw the movie, like, I went and saw it with my dad, and it was like, okay, we have to sit through the whole credits because, god damn it, like, we have to do this for every fucking movie these days. That's just annoying at some point. <laughs> and then just get to the end, it's like, okay, the collector is there, like, maybe it'll be like, I don't know, teasing, like, the other Infinity Gems, or, like, someone will show up to the collector and it's like, I wonder what character they're going to tease now. And it's like, oh, Howard the Duck is just sitting in the corner. Huh. And then the movie's over. It's like, I mean, it's what it's fitting in so much as the last time anyone tried this outlandish a Marvel premise, it was Howard the Duck. Yeah, but you know, and, and as I understand it, actually getting the rights for Howard the Duck has been very, very difficult. And Probably, Disney yeah. just recently acquired them with Marvel and everything. And and who knows? Maybe Marvel is going to take a crack at Howard the Duck at some point. But I don't think so. I don't think that's possible. Like I was, but like if you're going to go with, I know they can't probably because I don't know. Maybe Sony actually owns it, but it's like if you want to do a joke, fucking Marvel character, put Peter Porker, the Spider Ham, in there. <laughs> that is the best Marvel joke character there is. That would probably be the best Spider-Man yeah. movie of this decade. Yeah, seriously, the best Spider-Man scene. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Sony owns Spider Ham. Like, I wonder if that came with the rest of the Spider-Man s- stuff. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Because someone should make a Spider Ham movie. Is it going to be like Spider Pig from the Simpsons movie? Yeah, I mean that's basically. Could that be the except for he's an anthropomorphic pig? Okay, it's not like a, not like a normal. Can pig can pig. Homer singing the Spider Pig song be the theme song to that movie? Yes. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Well, I learned something today. Yeah. Here's my okay. We talked about the collector. Yeah. Um, they built him up really big in that Thor like end yeah. scene. He's nothing in this movie. Yeah, he has like one. And it's scene. Benicio del Toro. They got a really good actor for it. Yeah. And it's like. I mean, is he going to be back? Are they still building Maybe. him up? Like, it, like, it seems like he's like a fun, weird little side character that... Yeah. Like, I don't think they're building him up to be like a huge player in the Marvel Universe. Because I don't even know what he is from like... I don't know if he's from I just think it's weird that they glossed over it in this movie because he has the ether from Thor the Dark World. That's true. So yeah. he has multiple... Yeah, and that was, that was one of the things that I was expecting to be in that post credit scene is like someone taking that or something. Yeah. You know? Because it's like, yeah, he has other Infinity Gems. With Take him. another crack at Thanos in that scene, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so interesting, but I like the Howard the Duck. It made me laugh. I it just made me befuddled. Okay, like I don't know. They also had the space dog. 
The space dog was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll get a space dog movie. Probably, probably not. Okay. Uh, I, I don't read, think I don't think that's a Marvel character. It is. I was reading about that. Oh, that's is a, it really? that's Space Hound or something. Oh, he's, a, shit. He's, he's a character from like the original Guardians run or something. Let me look this up because it's super okay. interesting. He is a character with a history, and uh, people, I guess, some people were excited to see it. I think. Some yeah, because like I said, I have no history with Guardians, so yeah. I thought that was just a joke about like humans sent a dog into space, and so the collector found it. Yeah, and he has it in his collection. No, so let me go ahead and look this up. So it says on the Wikipedia page. Let's see. Um, Post Christina, canine cosmonaut. So it's Cosmo the Space Dog. Huh. He's a telepathic Russian dog uh, created by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. First appeared in Nova Volume 4, Number 7. Cosmo is the security chief of the space station Nowhere and a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Huh. So Cosmo the Space Dog. Yeah, I had no idea. And he was a real dog, so not a CGI like talking dog. Yeah, yeah. It was a real dog in a spaceship, yes. which is pretty great. So someone had to make that space suit to put that dog in. Yeah. That must have been like that, that uh, like costume person's best fucking day ever on set is when they get to make the dog astronaut suit this has got to be the best yep so anyway that's Guardians of the Galaxy anything else to say about it I am Groot so you know what this means uh, next Marvel movie is Avengers 2 I am Groot so pretty exciting yeah I am Groot we are Groot we are Groot